Recorded live. Hello, this is Michael Adams. This is nothing but the truth. One man's journey to find it. It is July the 2nd, 2015, and we do part five of The Jesuits Control the World. And in this part, we're going to attempt to listen to uh, two videos. And uh, I know, I've, I've, I've heard from numerous people that that maybe have more people interested in listening to my show if I uh, talk more. But um, well, I have plenty of time to talk. Uh, what now I want to do is uh, just share the opinions of others to develop a case for uh, the fact that the Jesuits run the world. Uh, first one will be an interview between uh, Eric Phelps and a guy named... Uh, Drake Shelton. I guess he's got a. I don't know. A blog, a blog talk radio, uh, un, uh, uncreated light. I guess is what it's called. Also, you could find him on uh, restoring the South. And uh, a couple of uh, intelligent, good old boys, if you will. Uh, they seem to have this segregation thing going on between blacks and whites. Maybe there's some validity to it. Maybe we should listen to what they have to say. I don't know. I personally am a person that uh, I don't really care too much about the color of your skin, so I don't buy into all that nonsense. But uh, I also understand the argument that they present about how the Jesuits use that to... Uh, is a way of breaking down uh, cultural identity and uh, family structure, social structure, and all that kind of thing. Because for thousands of years, that's what it's been. So uh, I don't, I guess I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other. You're talking to a guy that was married to a gal that was from East, half East Timorese and half Portuguese. So. Um, if you look what East Timorese look like and you look what Portuguese gals look like, obviously, <laughs> and I'm a Heinz 57, I'm part Cherokee, part uh, Scottish, Irish, English, and Dutch. So uh, I'm kind of, uh, based on their argument, I'm kind of screwed. <laughs> but besides that, they do have some very insightful things about the Jesuits. Uh, very interesting. Uh, if you can read between the lines, if you think what you can, you can use it throughout the rest, whatever kind of thing. But it's very interesting. And then we're going to listen to um, uh, Eric Phelps again that they just control the banking system. And once again, it's all about you know part of it. You know, might as well hear what his bent on what why he cares about so much about the color of his skin and. Um, if you agree with it, that's fine. If you don't, I don't, I really don't care one way or the other, to be honest with you. I think it's just, in some ways, it's more petty nonsense. But the important thing is they, they do give a lot of good information about the Jesuits. And so I feel that it's worthy of listening to them, at least these couple episodes. And if you want to listen to them more, if you feel that this your in line with what they have to say, that's great. I disagree with Eric Phelps about the state of Israel, how that it's supposed to be something biblical. 
prophetic. Uh, I could be wrong. I'm willing to admit that. But based on a, a scripture in the Old Testament is not enough for me. Also, uh, uh, Drake, uh, he seems like he's kind of like a that's the only thing going on, kind of a Seventh-day Adventist type of thing, like so many. Um, just listened to an episode that he said about Christianity, how it uh, <coughs> Christianity, the greatest uh, what did he call this episode? The greatest deception in world history. So, I don't know. And arguing about the triune God and how that's uh, pantheism. <laughs> that's his opinion. I don't know. Treats their own. That's what I guess. I, I, this show, this series in particular, is about the Jesuits. So we're going to learn about what they've done from uh, two of our contemporary researchers on the matter. And uh, maybe they're not all right, but maybe there's some absolute truths in it as well. <clears throat> we'll start out with headline news. <clears throat> See what uh, garbage is going on there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks to the uh, Jesuit Roman Catholic controlled Yahoo. So we should be hearing a lot of profound stuff. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oregon Catholic priest put on leave amid hidden camera probe. <laughs> Reuters. Oregon Catholic priest has been placed on leave by the Archdiocese of Portland as police investigate uh, who placed in cameras carefully disguised as an electrical outlet in a... Maybe we'll go back to it. I imagine it's the bathroom. And, of course, once again, let's face it... Uh, you know, all these adulterers, they turn into perverts. <clears throat> it's not really all that surprising. Uh, we've got uh, Article 3ET online. Miley Cyrus mics out with Victoria's Secret model, Stella Maxwell. And it's pretty intense. Well, let's so just write up the... Predictive programming, right, as they have the androgynous-looking Miley Cyrus promoting homosexuality and corrupting the society even more. But it's all planned out in advance. She's just a useful tool and a fool. And I hope that God somehow saves her and everyone else to wake them up with the foolishness that they're doing. But the next one, three ways Pope Francis is shaking up the church, CNN.com. Vatican officials dismiss suggesting Pope Francis has politics on the brain, which is ridiculous because he's the number one politician in the world. Or that is in or upcoming trip to Bolivia, Ecuador, and uh, Paraguay, form part of any master plan. Well, of course it is. As uh, things are shifted towards Central South America, we know that the Bush has bought a bunch of the property down there. They know what they have plans down there. As they dismantle this country, well, I don't know how they're going to go about it. We can see it playing out through perversions like the Jesuit 
the tribe planned for gay marriage, and if anybody had any common sense of this issue, they would be saying, government, get out of marriage altogether. We're sick of your taxes, and you're sick of your uh, licensing everything and everything that we everything that we do in life. This government has no business in marriage. Period. End of story. Another Jesuit Roman Catholic doctrine. Sites to sequence entire woolly mammoth genome. And the UPI uh, team of researchers has sequenced the whole genome of the whole moly mammoth, the first comprehensive analysis of the animal's genetic code. And I imagine we'll be seeing woolly mammoths before our end of our lives, one way or the other. I wonder if they'll be coming from the Antarctic or some other place that we're not allowed to go to. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, the Hill, Vatican considers devastating... Divesting from uh, fossil fuels. Vatican may end the investment of fossil fuels, but has not committed to doing so. Of course not, because they're not going to. They profit immensely from it. What they want you and I to do is that. They want us to become more dependent on them and their fascistic slash communist communitarian system where we're at the beck and call of their Jesuit giant reduction camp. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Catholic Church accused of defrauding Norway. There was another article in Newsweek. So one more thing about the Catholic Church. Peregrine song pays tribute to Pope Francis goes viral. UPI. Kim Kardashian shows off her assets on the cover as cover star, I guess, of this uh, Rolling Stones or whatever. And, of course, they got her in the black, her black uh, slave, uh, toy boy, and uh, all her satanic BS. And she's going to be some kind of role model for women. Yeah. Just gets just get hoarier and sluttier as the time goes on. That's what they want, you know. Just degrade yourself some more, why don't you? Uh, Newsweek, uh, Newsmax, <laughs> Catholic presses candidates to head Pope on climate. To heed Pope on climate. <clears throat> uh, Superman is. So this is from. Uh, is it hit flick or hit flick? I don't know. I can't really see. H i t f i x. Hit fix. Uh, Superman is Jesus. Lex Luthor has hilarious hair in New Batman and versus Superman images. More Luciferian, wicked crud. Is the corrupter society more for the big kill where they get each of us to fight over whether we're black or white, rich or poor, female or male, straight or gay, divide and conquer. And so they're just totally corrupting us all and losing all sense of who we are, our past, our product in history, and the Reformation and the history of the Bible, the true word, word of God, and how it actually was the Reformation that really 
was what freed us all. But they did a masterful job of not teaching us that. Pope Francis says he supports setting a fixed date uh, for Easter Sunday. Fox News Latino. Well, I imagine. Whatever. The NASA's New Horizon captured an image of a mysterious spot on Pluto. And if you believe that, then I once again buy his oceanfront property. Where? That's right, Indianapolis and Indiana. Very cheap. I'll sell it to you for 10 bucks. Just send me your money. I'll take your money. By the way, you won't get your oceanfront property, but that's whatever. What, what, what garbage is this? Uh, ben Affleck, of course, breaking up. Oh, well, you know, he's a good old one. Does he Roman Catholic do? If not, he's certainly too old. Um, Let's And it goes on and on and on. Pope Francis plans ground zero visit during the trip to NYC. Of course, he will. He's got a he's got a bless their uh their new uh sacrificial site, right? Uh, victim and Pier 14 shooting identified as a San Francisco woman. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, anyways, uh, I really do think I listen to these, you know. Um, I try to listen to these things best I can while I'm doing, you know, what I can around the house and preparing meal for family and all that kind of stuff. Seemed like it was some very interesting conversations here. I think it's worth listening to. Once again, I do not support either one of these gentlemen as far as everything that they believe in. I don't support their shows. I don't support anything that... Um, followers of them, but uh, Eric Felt does share some very interesting insights when it comes concerning the Jesuits. And by the way, it's very interesting insights when it comes out of his own brain. should make you, if anything, not idolize the man and to question him, as you should question me or anybody else. And we are not supposed to, you know, as idolize putting men on a pedestal. So, but he's a good communicator, and he has some very interesting things to say about the, the Rome, um, the Jesuits, and the banking system, and uh, it's all tied together. So hopefully, you get something out of it, and for those who will listen to it in the future, hopefully we don't have too many computer glitches. And I'm still struggling this week with. Connections and um, loading problems, I guess. Uh, so that's the first one. This one's called uh, uh, Jews, the Jesuit scapegoat. It's the name of the video and audio that you can hear. Once again, it's Eric Phelps with uh, host Drake Shelton on the radio program, Uncreated Light Blog. Whatever. Let's see if I can get this going first. 
Created Light blog. I'm your host, Drake Shelton, on this July 19th, 2013. This broadcast is for the spiritual and temporal benefit of my people, the atheist-driven and socially suicidal minority, Caucasian peoples, primarily the peoples of the Southland of America, but also of the world, the white race, known in biblical chronology as the Lion of Japheth. This broadcast is intended to call my peoples back to their covenant obligations and the solemn league and covenant, pursuant to the royal prerogative of Yahshua HaMashiach, who having resurrected from the dead, sinned far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, for he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. In doing so, this broadcast will expose the unforgivable treason committed against Yahshua's royal prerogative of the so-called enlightenment and its offspring, dispensationalism, Arminianism, liberty of conscience, materialism, Darwinism, and their social applications, pluralism, integration, miscegenation, and the communist idea of rights developed out of abolition philosophy in the mid to late 19th century. I'm supposed to be having Eric Phelps on uh, with me today. I'm waiting. To, there he is, right there. Hey, here I am, Drake. Sorry, I'm waiting. Hey, Eric, you with us? All right, very. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you um, you made it. I, I I was listening to your program right when you were uh, ending right there, and I was um, I was hoping you were going to get in pretty clean, and and you did. So I'm grateful you're here with me. It's a pleasure to be with you too, Drake. Um, I tell you, I tell you. I have um I've been I I have I follow a number of guys um uh, that are part of a um kind of a white nationalist movement in the south and uh constantly on my Facebook page I'm I'm seeing stuff about <laughs> Jews <laughs> everything is about Jews that's that's the big problem they think and uh you, you have have you ever heard of this guy brother Nathaniel Oh yeah You've heard of Orthodox? Yeah, yeah, the Russian Orthodox. Uh, I'm, to, I'm totally convinced, brother, that he's a Jesuit coach. <laughs> Why do you think that? Is, is there a... Well, well, yeah, the Jesuits have penetrated the Orthodox Church completely. Oh, In yeah. fact, their, their patriarch is Jesuit trained. Okay. Oh, uh, Ware, right? Timothy Ware? Is yeah. there, he's, he, is he, he's not the Russian. He's the... Uh, he's part of the... Uh, the Greek, right? I think it was Krill. I think his name was Krill. I have it in my notes here. Krill? This, this, this patriarch was trained by Jesuits. So, so, and I have a book here on the Jesuits. They, they learned the old Eastern rites, you know, so they can penetrate oh, yeah. the Orthodox Church. And today, you know, the Orthodox Church, the only difference between the Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church is between Tweedly Dee and Tweedly Dum. Yeah. Uh, they're just... It's, Terrible, oppressing the people. I have a lady friend who was a missionary there, and she told me the Orthodox Church would in uh, Romania told told the people that they would have to give their entire uh, wages for the year to get him to do some prayers or whatever it was. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and I and I have a missionary friend there, Peter Icy, who's from Romania. He told me that the leading Orthodox priest in the town there, where he's at, he's the head of the occult. They put oh, spells wow. on people, and and they pay the people go to the Orthodox priest to put spells on other people. <laughs> it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's incredible. I want to. Uh, I want to. It, it, my listeners, I want to uh, give you the context of this guy, Brother Nathaniel. I got a clip here from one of his videos, and this is going to be foundational to the conversation that Eric and I are about to have. 
Uh, this is a this is a YouTube. He has a very popular YouTube clip. I see this smattered all over my Facebook all the time, and I've had a pretty heated conversations with some friends of mine on Facebook about this guy. So I just want you to listen to a video here that he has put out on Facebook just a few weeks ago. Here it goes. Europe is the church, and the church is Europe, wrote Hilaire Belloc, the 20th century English historian. But with the dismantling of the church, accomplished by the regicide of Charles I, Louis XVI, and Tsar Nicholas II, church and state no longer act as a foil against the intrigues of international Jews. Today, Europe, once known and experienced as Christendom, wherein Jews were considered enemies of the gospel, is a secular wasteland. It's ruled instead by the synagogue, with Jews at the highest levels of economic, political, and cultural influence. Okay, so that, that's, that's the, the, the substance of it, okay? He's, he's, wanting, he's wanting everybody to believe that the downfall of the monarchical uh, powers in Europe is, is behind, and, and the people behind that are the Jews. And uh, the Protestant, what you get when you start talking to these people, you start digging into their thought process, is that behind the rise of the Jews is the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, yeah. They, the, the Protestant Reformation is, is what is the platform upon which the Jews have risen to power in the West. They, they killed off, and supposedly the, you know, the communist regimes that rise up in France and other areas in Russia, somehow that's connected to the Protestant Reformation. How they pull that piece of gymnastics off is, is beyond me. But uh, it's all, all the, the communist movements and the revolutions, the American Revolution, it's all connected. It's a Jewish conspiracy to, for Jews to gain power. Okay, that, that's what this is about. Okay, that's what these guys think. All right, so I, we, 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 just need, we just need to start at the beginning of European history. Eric, can you tell us who were the first international bankers in Europe? Can we talk about them? The first, yes, we did. The first international bankers in Europe were the Knights Templars. Are they Jews? They ran everything. <laughs> were those Jews? White, they're white Gentiles, Frenchmen particularly. Yeah. I, uh, well, you have, the you have the suppression of the Templars in uh, what, 1312 by the Pope, Clement V, mm -hmm. and uh, encouraged by Philip the Fair, who was the uh, king of France, and that's why they burned Jacques de Molay at the stake, because he was the head of the Templars. So the Templars were absolutely white Gentiles, running the banking of Europe, and not only Europe, because you see, the Templars were, were having a trade around the world. They were the yeah. big shippers. Mm -hmm. So, no, they were the first, but there were some Jews that were also t uh, uh, bankers at the time, but they were subordinate to the Templars, and they were called the Fuggers. The Fuggers, okay. and you can read about them in Ridpatch Universal History. Okay. So the, Jes the Jesuits have done the same thing, because remember, the Jesuits are the new Knights Templars, so they have then sought to use certain Jews as front men to make it look like the Jews run everything. And the fact of the matter is, the ten Roman families are the gigatrillionaires, the big bankers. In fact, the, the head of the European bank here in Europe, his name was Draghi. He's an Italian knight of Malta. But nobody mm -hmm. talks about him. 
Yeah. And folks, uh, folks listening, uh, Eric has made a series of videos. I think one guy put it together in one video. It's called the Jesuit Banking System on YouTube. It's very good. I, I listened to the whole thing a couple times through. I, I'd like to document all that and just put it on one page on my website just to just to show everyone that the heads of the big banking cartels, not only in our country, the Bank of America and all the big banking uh, organizations here in America, not only here but also with the European Union, are white men that are associated or connected somehow with the Knights of Malta or some other Masonic organization. And um, that brings us to another issue with the Templars. It, it is It is – Something these men here in America, these white men who think the Jews are behind everything and the Jews are controlling everything, they they correctly see some problems with the Zionist obsession with uh, the United States military, some forms of dispensational Baptist theology, and um, we, we are led to believe that. Jews are the only ones that are concerned about Zionism, but that's not true. Uh, as you pointed out in your work, Eric, the Templars and their Latin kingdom of Jerusalem is really the, the kind of the golden age of Zionism. Of course. Yeah, yeah. because remember, the Templars, the nice Templars, and uh, well, the equestrians were there too. And that's pretty well shown in the book, in the book, uh, Kingdom of, or in the movies, Kingdom of Heaven, that two part yeah. set. But um, the the nice Templars were busy running the kingdom, the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. as a sort of universal world headquarters for themselves. Mm-hmm. And when the, when I believe the Lord used the Muslims to end that, because He raised up the Mamluks out of Egypt to drive out the nice Templars in uh, 1291. Mm-hmm. So that's the formal end of the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem. And they were driven to uh, roads. They were driven to surrounding islands. And then ultimately it went to Malta. Hold just a second. Okay. I don't need to here. Hold it. <laughs> what happened was is um, the man was driven out. So it's, and then the Knights Templars ultimately went and became the Scottish Knights Templars, and that's where you have Scottish Rite Freemasonry by the Jesuits. But okay. the Jesuits then would use Napoleon to punish the Mamluks in the Battle of Egypt there in, in Cairo, and he would kill the entire Mamluk bodyguard of the Sultan as vengeance for what the Mamluks did when they drove out the Templars in 1291. Huh. That's that's the only way we can understand Napoleon's invasion of, of uh, Egypt. Otherwise, it makes complete and total no, no sense at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, it looks like I've got another caller here. Um, I'm going to see if they have a question. Hold on one second here. Cool. Hello, hello, caller. Who's this? Uh, Jason from Texas. I'm just listening. Oh, you're just listening. Okay. Did you have a question yeah. for Eric or for myself? Or? Uh, not yet. i can come back to him. Okay, I'll hit one. I'll just speak to you and get back to you later. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, Eric. I saw another caller there. I thought he might have a question. All right. Uh, so here's um, so here's, here's another issue, and I, I hear them talking about this stuff pretty frequently. Um, the Alambrados. I'm probably not pronouncing that properly. Who are these guys? Alambrados. The Alambrados were a Spanish secret society at the time of Ignatius Loyola. 
And uh, Loyola was a member of it because remember, Loyola was also, and this is hard to find, but my former pastor found it for me. Loyola was a uh, Spanish Templar. Okay. And so he was a Spanish Templar. He was an Alumbrados, which is all to me. The enlightened one is the Illuminati, as you would, he would then tell you, when they found that in 1776. Right. And, so, um, and so he would begin to build this super-secret society, which he first named the Knights of the Virgin Mary, and then he later changed to the Society of Jesus as a new Knights nice Templar for the purpose, twofold purpose of taking Jerusalem. And for destroying the Reformation in Europe and restoring the Pope's temporal power or his political rule of all governments over the world. That was the purpose, and is the purpose of the Jesuit. Yeah. And I remember when I was a Presbyterian seminary student, um, uh, Wiley's history of Protestantism was uh, a standard issue. And uh, in that work, he talks about how their their uh, agenda is to get all of the gold and the silver of Christendom. Uh, he right. makes that very clear. Very clear. And that's, for your listeners, it's volume 2, book 15. It's about okay. 50 pages. And I copied every one of those pages, and I put them in my, at the end of my uh, Vatican Investment CDs. I've got them all there. Well, well, good. You mean to tell me they actually issued that book to you for students in seminary? Well, I mean, it was it was kind of a standard reading among the Presbyterian ministers, and uh, you know they kind of one of our one of the ministers that went to our church at that time. Uh, he had he had uh, there was a split somewhere in Greenville, and there there were his kind of like half of his congregation came to worship with us at the time, and uh, you know they was he was giving us books from his library, and uh, he wanted us to have. Uh, he wanted us. He wanted to make sure we had Wiley's uh, huge volumes on on the history of Protestant. God bless him. God bless him. That's why I know the greatness of Knox. Right? Yeah. You know, it's just when he refused to give the uh, communion to the infidels there, to the levelers. To the, yeah, and uh, so, you know, it's just a wonderful work. Anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. But anyway. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, and here, here comes another one of these. I don't know what we should call these guys. These, uh, these guys, who I mean, they're they they're kind of going along the Nazi fascist line. Uh, yes, they see, hey, let, let, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you for one second. Uh, all right. Uh, this, the, the guy, he, this guy quoted Hillary Bellick. Okay. okay. Hillary Bellick was a fanatical. Roman Catholic disinformation historian. Okay. And I've read several of his works, and it's a terrible twist of history, and that was his purpose, to rewrite history and to twist it. So he's a notorious liar. So to quote Hillary Bellick on anything of substance, you're going down the wrong road, and you can disprove most of what he says. Yeah. Okay. Um, So maybe we should call these guys disinformation agents. Or good Jesuit coadjutors. Absolutely. Um, they they love to say that Ignatius Loyola was a was a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> they just they're they're upset. Like uh, some of the more honest ones. And I I listened to your debate that you had with that gentleman. Um, uh, what was his name now? A couple years ago was it? Um, on on whether the Jews are the Jesuit. Michael Collins. Whether, Piper. Yeah, Michael Collins Piper. Thanks. 
Yeah. And um, I remember listening to that. And some of, some of these guys are not as obstinately, you know, stubborn like he was. They'll actually look at the history of this and they'll admit the Jesuits are huge players in the New World Order. And so in order to make it fit their theory, they have to make Ignatius Loyola a Jew. Uh, sure. Every standard work that I've read on this man, on biography that I've read, says that he was a Spanish man. He was from a Basque noble family. He was not a Jew. And he actually stated in one of his works he wished he was a Jew. Uh, what, what, what do you, do you know of any, uh, sources that claim that Ignatius Loyola was a Jew or at least an ethnic Jew? No, not one. And I'll no. tell you that this is another lie of the Jesuits because you see, once people start to catch on that the Jesuits are ruling everything, then the, the only military response to that is that they can't disprove it. Yeah. There was military response and said, well, he's a Jew, and the Jews run the Jesuits, and therefore I told you the Jews run everything. But they will do this in the face of the fact that Loyola was number one, the Spanish nobleman of the House yeah. of Loyola. Yeah. He was a military warrior. He was a, he was a Spanish Templar. Um, he, was, he was of noble blood. And uh, he hated the Jews, according to Boyd Barrett, Boyd Barrett was a was a Jesuit for many years. He left the order. He never came another order. He was never saved. But he wrote a book, two books. One of them is called The Jesuit Enigma. Okay. And the other book is called another book he wrote is called Rome Stoops to Conquer. Okay. And those books are tells you that Loyola never said any good thing or anything about such of a sort of about Jews. Oh, okay. Okay. And perhaps the Savior says in Rolling Stoops to Conquer, he said, give me a place where there are no Muslims or Jews. Yeah. And Francis Xavier was Loyola's right-hand man. He went to, you know, uh, India. Oh, you know, uh, here, here, in my, here in my hometown of Louisville, uh, we have quite a, Je a Jesuit hive here. We have Bellarmine University, and then we also oh, wow. have the most well-known high school here uh, is Xavier High School, and it is a hive of Jesuits. Yes. Oh, yes. And, folks, I just want you to know that that, that kind of attitude towards the Jews is traditional in, and correctic, that, that, that in Roman Catholic the theology. Okay? I just want to give you two classic quotes from uh, major early church Roman Catholic uh, theologians. This is coming from Justin Martyr in his Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 16, quotation. For the circumcision according to the flesh, which is from Abraham, was given for a sign that you may be separated from other nations. And he's talking to Jews, by the way. And from us, and that you alone may suffer that which you now justly suffer, that your land may be desolate and your cities burned with fire and that strangers may eat your fruit in your presence, and not one of you may go up to Jerusalem. For you are not recognized among the rest of men by any other mark than your fleshly circumcision. For none of you, I suppose, will venture to say that God neither did nor does foresee the events which are future, nor foreordained his deserts for each one. Accordingly, these things have happened to you in fairness and justice, for you have slain the just one and his prophets before him. Now, here is... The, the most popular 
Roman Catholic theologian that was used during the Nazi regimes in Germany. His name is John Chrysostom. He was a notorious anti-Semite. This man was unbelievable. He, he, wrote, he wrote numerous works against the Jews. His most famous works, most quoted by the Nazis, was his Eight Homilies Against the Jews. Okay? And you can read the, the, the Nazi use of this work in Walter LaCour's book, The Changing Face of Antisemitism. And this is just one quote from uh, Chrysostom's homilies, quote, for they brought the books of Moses and the prophets along with them into the synagogue, not to honor them, but to outrage them with dishonor. When they say that Moses and the prophets knew not Christ and said nothing about his coming, what greater outrage could they do to those holy men than to accuse them of failing to recognize their master, than to say that those saintly prophets are partners of their impiety? And so it is that we must hate both them and their synagogue all the more because of their offensive treatment of those holy men. Okay? The seething hatred that, that Chrysostom has for the Jews, is, it's all over his writings. It's all over. Now, this brings us to another very important issue. What about Luther? What about Luther and his book, The Jews and Their Lies? I think you've written some on that issue, have you not, Eric? Yes, I have. Um, well, number one, I came out in my book and said plainly that Luther never wrote on the Jews in their lives. Yep. That was released three years after his death. So he never wrote the thing. Supposedly it was in 1543, but it was after, after that. It was after Luther died, because Luther never said such a thing, and I'll tell you why. You go to his commentary on Romans, and he never writes anything like that. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I have Lenker's work, I have Lenker's work where, where he quotes Luther in saying that obviously Israel will be restored and Lord haste the day. I have it in my PowerPoint. Yeah. So Luther never wrote on the Jews in their lives for two reasons. Number one, the theology on the Jews in their lives, because the, uh, on the Jews in their lives teaches work salvation. Luther hated work salvation. He came yeah. to know the Lord for Romans 117, the just shall live by faith, as you know. He hated anybody that did in any kind of work salvation. And that's what right. you see all through in the Jews in their lives. Yeah. The second reason why you can reject it as a work of Luther is the whole language of on the Jews in their lives. Luther didn't have that style. Okay. It's not his style. So those are the two reasons why someday I'll get... I'll write something off and publish on it, but those are the two primary reasons. And then, and in choosing their lives, he's quoting from uh, the, the, the Latin, the Latin Psalms, uh, what is it, Nate Tamir, something like that, the Latin Psalm, the, the, the Misery. Well, he doesn't quote from that. He's quoting yeah. from the Church Bible, or he'll quote from the Hebrew, but he's not going to quote any Latin, uh, yeah. Jerome's Latin, Vulgate, you know? So all these things have the despicable flavor of the Jesuits, and they're masters at, you know, it's having a, what do you call them, books written by them and attributed to other people. Counterfeits. Mein Kampf is another one. Hoover's the Great, Hoover's the great Deceit is another one. I mean, uh, uh, what is it, Isis Unveiled and The Secret Doctrine by Blavatsky. That's another couple of manuscripts written by Jesuits. They're the masters of counterfeiting, writing books, and attributed to their co-teachers. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So much fun. Do, um, do, do you have a possible name that you think may have done it, uh, a certain individual, um, just maybe a guess, maybe best guess of who you think did it? 
Well, I don't know because, see, at the time, the Jesuits were just getting started. They were founded in 1534. They were brought into the papacy in 1540. Uh, Luther dies, what, in 1546, I believe. They say he wrote it in 1543. That's one of the first things they attack is, it wouldn't surprise me if Xavier or Salmeron or, or one of those guys uh, wrote it themselves. Maybe abortion. Yeah. Well, uh, this leads to another issue, and th- th- this is from the Catholic Gazette. It was written in 1936. This is kind of the holy grail of our Jesuit coadjutors here. They point to this as the definitive proof that the Jews were behind the Protestant Reformation. Um, they, they quote this document. They think that they've gotten a hold of this document here that was supposedly being uh, distributed among Jews. Uh, let me give you just the, kind of the preface to this uh, this little article in the Catholic Gazette. It says that there has been and still is a Jewish problem no one can deny. Since the rejection of Israel 1,900 years ago, the Jews have scattered in every direction. And in spite of difficulties and even persecution, they have established themselves as a power in nearly every nation of Europe. Jacobs, in his Jewish contributions to civilization, glories in the fact that without detriment to their own racial unity and international character, the Jews have been able to spread their doctrines and increase their political, social, and economic influence among the nations. In view of this Jewish problem, which affects the Catholic Church in a special way, we publish the following amazing extracts from a number of speeches recently made under the auspices of a Jewish society in Paris. The name of our informant must remain. Really cut me off again. Let's see what happens. I don't understand why they keep doing this. I keep said I don't have the connection. I lost connection. I keep losing internet connection when I do my show. The only thing I can think of is somebody's trying to interfere. See, I got that. Now let's try to go back. Now I supposedly have the connection to see what happens. Really don't want me to do this. <laughs> uh, I'm getting tired of myself. So, come on, guys, let's get let me back on. Boom. Concealed. Uh, he is personally known. To, yeah, he is personally known to us by reason of his peculiar relations with the Jews at the present time. We have agreed not to disclose his identity nor to give any further details of the Paris meeting beyond the following extracts. Yada yada. And it goes down here. Let me give you the section which touches on the Protestant Reformation. Quotation. Okay, so here's the speech. He's quoting, the Catholic is now quoting from this speech by this Jew. Okay? Quotation. Martin Luther yielded to the influence of his Jewish friends, and again by Jewish authority and with Jewish finance, his plot against the Catholic Church met with success. Thanks to our, <laughs> propaganda, thanks to our propaganda, 
to our theories of liberalism and to our misrepresentations of freedom, the minds of many among the Gentiles were ready to welcome the Reformation. They separated from the church to fall into our snare, and thus the Catholic Church has been very sensibly weakened, and her authority over the kings and Gentiles has been reduced almost to naught. <clears throat> this, is, this, is, this is rich right here. We are grateful to Protestants for their loyalty to our wishes, <laughs> although most of them are, in the sincerity of their faith, unaware of their loyalty to us. <laughs> We are grateful to them for the wonderful help they are giving us in our fight against the strongholds of Christian civilization and in our preparations for the advent of our supremacy over the whole world and over the kingdoms of the Gentiles. Okay, so it's just, it just goes on with this propaganda. It doesn't actually tell us who these friends were of Martin Luther that influenced him. I, I, have, I don't know. Do you know who they could possibly be talking about? I mean, I've never come across. Yeah, I've never come across of any influential Jew in any historical writing on Luther. Neither have I. None. So, so yeah. therefore, the question is, who financed Luther? Yeah, yeah. Because he had it. So we know it was Frederick the Elector. Yeah, yeah. Frederick the Elector paid him to trans, helped him, kept him fed and clothed when he was Knight George at Warburg Castle for ten yeah. months, putting the Bible into German. There were no Jews involved in that. Yeah. So all this, this is 1936 when you read this. This is the Jesuits in Europe seeking to unite Protestants and Catholics together against the Jews. That's what well, Yeah, and that's, that's right. Exactly right. And folks, I just want you to with, know. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. They come up with this bogus Jewish author that's saying these things. They do the same thing with that one other guy with uh, Friedman. Mm -hmm. They're going to treat all these terrible things to the Jews, and, and they're using one of their court Jews to write it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Without any historical documentation. Yeah. And for our listeners, I want you to know this is exactly what we are faced with right now. And the, the, Jesuits, right. the Jesuits have done this, like in the last couple centuries. In the, in the beginning part of the 1800s, the 19th century, and Eric has done a great job of documenting this in his, in his work, Vatican Assassins. There were you have the revitalization of the Jesuit order in 1814. Right after this, you have these two real big meetings that happen. Uh, for, you have the, the, what's called the Council of Vienna, the Treaty of Verona, and then there's this other thing called the Cherry Council in Italy. And overseeing all of this is, is this Roman, he was a representative of the Holy Roman Empire. His name was Prince von Metternich. He was over this huge agenda in Europe, and even over here in the United States, because one of his good buddies was Charles Sumner. Charles That's Sumner, right. that wicked, that wicked, filthy Yankee abolitionist over here, yes. who was going to be yes. responsible for the revitalization of monarchical powers in our land. That's right. And that's right. I have documented I wrote a book on this on my blog. It's for free. I put it on my blog. It's called The End of the Antebellum South. I spent about 1,500 hours putting this book together. I did, I did this all last year. I, I, Eric's book was inspiration for me to write this book on the Antebellum South. And, um, and I... By, by, the way, by, by the way, just let me add this before I forget. Yeah. I discovered this connection between Metternich and, and Scummer, which I call Charles Scummer, yeah, in, yeah. in a, in, in a F&M library in Lancaster, like in the Marshall College Library, in the basement of the books that were in, uh, they're locked up, and they're not allowed to be um, checked out. 
Yeah. You can yeah, yeah. They, they're part of their kid exhibit. It was a three-volume set on uh, Metternich. So I thought, well, yeah. Lord, I wonder what this is here. I got one of the volumes down, and just in the province of God, it turned me right there where Metternich was meeting with Charles Sumner, yeah. a, an American uh, senator right there. And I said, this is the connection yeah. of the radical Republicans to the Congress of Vienna. That's right. Wow. That's right. So it's also, it's right it's also in his letters. Oh, okay. The letters of Charles Sumner, he talks about it. I've got it, I've got it quoted and linked on my blog. It's on Google Books. Um, uh-huh. so, so, okay, this is the first attempt that we have here, at least one of the I – mean, obviously, the, the Jesuits tried to regain the Holy Roman Empire with the Thirty Years' War. They failed. You have the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648, and this huge explosion of culture and progress over in Europe because of the Protestant Reformation, yeah. its influence into society. I, 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 for your, for your listeners too, Greg, before I forget to this, remember, yeah. any modern history class that you take in any university, they will always tell you the beginning of the modern era is 1648 with the Peace of Westphalia. Always. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, look at the big players that come out right after this. Uh, I mean, Voltaire. I mean, shake, I mean my, my beloved Queen Baz, Queen Elizabeth, uh, she has a golden age of her own in, in England with, with, uh, with all the – yeah. But uh, with 1648, uh, is, is that's the real kicker all over Europe. And um, so we have that. They, they, they completely fail. And then, you know, they fail with their attempts to regain powers in uh, England with uh, the fall of uh, that – filthy uh, Duke of York, uh, James II, and when, when, when William and Mary take over. And then, in the, 18, yeah, in the 1800s, they try it again with Metternich. Uh, it's blocked here in America with the Monroe Doctrine. And then, in the 1900s, they try it again. Folks, when, when Hitler called his little regime over there the Third Reich, he was telling you that he was accused. He was trying to continue something. It tell, you can go on Wikipedia and read this. The Third Reich was right. a revitalization of the Holy Roman Empire. This is not a conspiracy right. theory, folks. This is standard right. history. And furthermore, Drake, remember when his invasion of Russia? What does he call it? <laughs> Operation Barbarossa. Oh, okay. Who's yeah, yeah, yeah. the most... He's the German crusader of the Third Crusade. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's huge. That's huge. Huge. Yeah. So what, what we, are, we, we are here uh, involved with now, uh, here in the 20th century, I want you to know this, listener. And I know I've probably got some of you Jesuit coadjutors, and I don't want to be too derogatory with you because you're my brother. Some of you guys are in the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Some of you guys... They're going to mess with me all night like they did last night. But I won't give up, and they can't get me to give up. So good luck. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? So anyways, very interesting, the connection uh, of the Third Reich with... uh, Oh gosh, I can't even think of the name now. 
I was connected with the uh, Third Crusade, named after the gentleman that started the Third Crusade. And, you know, they seem to just want to keep messing with my show. Every time, I understand why. It's a very annoying show I have. (laughs) Very annoying little show that has an awful lot of information for folks. And uh, what is going on? Why will... Uh, I don't know. Because it keeps on saying uh, that it's get disconnected. But it's not disconnected. Or it is disconnected. But I don't know. I don't understand it at all, to be honest with you. So we will see. Uh, Hopefully this made a difference. Very interesting conversation they had so far. It's 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 a real pleasure for me at least to listen to them when they're so talking about. There we go. There we go. You're being deceived. You're, you're you're being drawn away from what you need into this deceit. You're going to be used as cannon fodder by the Jesuit order to do their bidding here in our country, and, and you, you turn away from these deceits. They are trying. To, they, they, we have this huge crisis. The Jesuits have made way now for the last century or more for the white nations, the white European nations of the Protestant Reformation to be completely surrounded, completely invaded with all these different foreigners coming over here with all their religions and all of their cultures and stuff. Yep. And we, we yep. are sitting here, we, we are in panic mode. And, and, Right. We have we have been brought to this place where we we, we have to do something. <laughs> we we can't just we can't just sit here and do something. And the Jesuits are taking full advantage of this and what they're gonna do is they're using this they're using this to unite the Protestant white men and the Catholic white men together. And That's they right. are using to revitalize the Holy Roman Empire. That's right. That's right. Well look at Look at what they call it. They depart, call it the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, yeah. We don't even have anything talking about a homeland. You know, it's either Nazi or communist, and the Jesuits run both Nazism and communism. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be our holy office of the Inquisition, the Department of what I call Homeland Security. They're going to absorb all the intelligence communities. I know that they're going to absorb the FBI one of these days. And yeah. so it's going to be the Pope Super Gestapo here in North America composed of Protestants and Catholics, as was the SS, but the mm-hmm. primary leaders will be Roman Catholics, as it was the SS. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in, later on in this, uh, this, this little uh, propaganda piece uh, with, with this uh, Catholic Gazette in 1936, it talks about how, the, how that we are, and by we, I'm talking about as if I'm the author of that uh, work, that Jewish work, says, he says, we are the masters of class warfare. And that was, that was the kicker for me. When as soon as I read that, I was like, I, that's a Jesuit writing this right here. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like the protocols. And as I said before in my book and talking to you about, the Jesuits wrote the protocols, and it is documented by ex-Roman Catholic priest who became a missionary, a uh, priest to the Catholic people in New York City. His name is Leo Lehman. 
Yeah, Lehman yeah. was a tremendous work behind the dictators. And in that, he said the Jesuits wrote the protocols and proved yeah. it. Yeah. And, folks, uh, I just want to, because I, I, as Eric does, he, he devotes his, his episodes and his broadcast to white men. And I do the same thing. And I primarily devote it to my beloved southern white men, and, and especially to those men who are the original stock of this land. Uh, I, my, right. my ancestors came here 400 years ago. We were part of the original Jamestown colony. We were running for our lives from Charles I over there in England when he was persecuting Protestants. He was continuing the policies of his father, James I, with his black acts, but he was persecuting Protestants. He came, he, he came over here. We came over here. And my fifth great-grandfather fought with George Washington in the Revolutionary War. He then fought with the Battle of Kings Hill. And my third great-grandfather fought for the Confederacy. And, and I, I am a part of the original, the original stock of this land here with the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And I will be damned. Before I let, and, you, and I want you to, I know you feel the same way I do, brother. I know I've seen it in your eyes when we are at our meetings. We are going to be damned before we let this happen to our country. We are not going to, we are not going to relieve our religion. We're not going to give over the inheritance of our fathers to all these foreigners with their gods and their religion. No, we're not doing that. But we also don't want to get into what the Jesuits want. The Jesuits want this hateful, bloodthirsty, mentality so that we'll fall in line with their bloodthirsty uh, fascist regime that they're bringing up here. We don't want that. We want to stay away from that. That's right. And the other thing we've got to be concerned about is can't be driven into hating a black people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What we have to do is to have to create separation of our race in areas where our own white nation, their own black nation, and uh, well, those who want to race mix, they can continue to stay here. But we have to racially separate under nationhood, which is a biblical maxim. Yeah, I agree. Anybody who calls for racial separation today, they want to immediately tag, he's a racist, he hates yeah. black people. And, 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 and the blacks don't want to racially separate, they're racist, they hate white people. And the vast majority that you hear, like Shabiz, the Blue Black Panthers, or Farrakhan, well, of course they hate black people because they're working for the Pope to incite a black-on-white race war. That's what they want. And I tell you, you, Eric, just this last week, I had a friend of mine from California. She's a Latino girl. We went to college together. And last year, we were talking, and I told her, and I was just looking at my blog. On June 7th was my first entry on my blog. This is when I first started to lose. I've lost about 75% of my readers over this issue. And I oh, started, yeah. put, I've started putting on my blog that there's going to be a race war here. I, had, I, I listened to your series. I listened to your works that you did. And I did my own research. And I wrote a number of things on this. And I became completely convinced that you're right about this. And, and two days ago, my friend from California calls me up. I haven't heard from her for a long time. I haven't. She calls me up and she goes, Drake, this race war has started. She lives in Los Angeles. They had a huge riot over there in the last few days. And she's like, well, after, after, the trade, after the Zimmerman decision, yeah. Yeah. She, she's like, I thought you were crazy. I thought you were racist and stuff, but you're right. This stuff is happening. I'm like, I know. Right. And I, I, I talked to a black man. I talked to a black and big black guy yesterday at the Lancaster Bible College. I decided to go over there and say, oh, no where I graduated, and I wanted to go to the library where they moved the library, and they built a new building. Well, I went there, and I said, oh, i got to see this library, because that's, yeah. that's the place of real wealth, you know. <laughs> and yeah, as I was sitting there, 
<laughs> that's where all the nuggets of gold are. And I found what I wanted to read. But the providence of God, there was a big black guy that came over and wanted to talk to me. I didn't kind of the better the blue. So I said, okay. So we sat and talked for a while. And I told him all this. I said, the Jesuit, I said, I teach in the Jesuit order. I said, they're fomenting a race war. And they want to have the majority savage blacks, which I consider 75 to 80% of the black community to be majority savage blacks. And 20 to 25% are the civil minority blacks, and they, many of them believe the Bible. He said, you're right. He said, I'm having a problem myself in the inner city here at Lancaster. I said, well, just know this. The Jesuits are using their agents in the black community to foment a race war in every major city in this country. And when it starts to break forth, millions of white people are going to die within the next, within the first 20, 30 days, and then the Department of Rural Land Security will come out to the rescue and enslave everybody. Yep. Yeah, I remember telling this to a man uh, last year as a black gentleman, and he didn't. He was not a Bible believer, and it, it was pretty tall. It was pretty awful. Uh, I, 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 it was. I thought I was going to have to run for my <laughs> for my life here. I, I told him these things that I believe, and he 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 got really mad because he, he. I think he he figured that I was telling the truth, but he just didn't want to have to have to face the reality yeah. of it. But uh, see, yeah, that's the my, problem. Good, excuse me. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's the problem with dealing with that's the problem dealing with many blacks. Blacks they want to go to fists right away. They want to fight right away. Well, if that's what you want to do, we can do that too. But see, that's never how you talk something through to a logical conclusion. And so, because they're easily excitable to violence, they, it's very difficult to reach them with these facts because they've been brainwashed to hate all white people. That's right. And are not thankful for the for the conveniences they have in North America because of white men and their inventions and Jews that aided us in our inventions that we didn't persecute. More blacks are waking up to this. I have two strong black supporters who are in their communities advocating against the new Black Panthers, against the the, uh, the uh, Nation of Islam, and are calling for racial separation and the nationhood for their own black nation. So I believe this is starting to move even among the blacks now. Yeah, and I want to – I want to uh, – just a short – I don't want to go into my book on this, but I want you to know, uh, if, you're, if you're a listener and you're, you're a black man, I have went to great pains to document for you with numerous primary sources and some secondary sources that the colony of Virginia, where my ancestors came from, which was, the, 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 it was like the headquarters of the South, we did everything that we possibly could to stop that damn slave trade from coming to our land. That's right. Everything we possibly That's right. could. King George shoved that thing right down our throats here. And he right. and Thomas Jefferson in our original constitution says he did it to start De- a race De- here. De- original declaration. That's right. That's right. Well, it, it, it's, it's also in the original constitution as well. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I know it's in the declaration because I have it in Blake's history of slavery and the slave trade. For any of the listening that want to get the real history of the slavery and the slave trade, W.O. Blake is the classic. Yeah, history yeah, of absolutely. slavery and the slave trade. And it has Jefferson's whole work right in there. He says, they put this execrable slave trade upon us that yeah. the king has refused our colonial legislators to forbid. And then he's exciting this, the blacks against the, our, the white population for our destruction. Exactly the same policy of today. That's right. That's right. And I've, I've, I've documented as well on my uh, response, I did a lengthy response to two uh, university professors. I think it's in Idaho. Now it was it was a few months ago, and they're in Idaho, and they and they point out they well, they ask uh, these two southern gentlemen that wrote a defense of the South. 
why all the slave uh, rebellions happened here in the early colonies. If we were so good to the blacks, why is it that they, that they rebelled? I have documented for you the Jesuits were behind this. We had one group of them were, came over here from the Congo where they, were, they used to be a, a, like a reduction over there in Africa. And they, they were Jesuit trained to do this. And then you have uh, Nat uh, uh, Turner. Uh, he, was, he was accompanied by two French Jacobins to do what he did. And he even, he even says in his own writings that his master was good to him, but he had been taught this liberation theology crap. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. We're going to talk about where liberation theology came from. He had been taught this stuff, and he was incited to these riots by these French Jacobin gentlemen who remained unnamed. I haven't found a name for them yet, but they talk about it in his, book, his own words. But for the listeners' benefit, the listeners' benefit, remember the French, French Jacobins were totally run by the Jesuits. Right. Uh, one of the foremost Jacobins was Abby Saez, and he was right. on the directory. Abby Saez goes on to be the, the first, second council of the third man, three-man consulate, and he's the advisor to Napoleon. Jacobins and Jacobins were completely in the hands of the Jesuits. That's right. All of the slave rebellions that I have studied in the South were inspired by the French Revolution. And Eric John Phelps has showed in his work, uh, Vatican Assassins, very clearly, the Jesuits were behind the, the, the French Revolution. You look at all the major players in France, Robespierre, Abbe Says, Voltaire, they're all Jesuits or Jesuit-trained men, all of them. And uh, there's another one named Diderot as well. But anyway, I want, I want to get... I, I want and to get then, to and then the crowning event too, Drake. Don't forget Napoleon. Napoleon yeah. came by him, and he came right out of Corsica, where all the Jesuits were confined by the by uh, the King of France when they were suppressed in 1764. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get to this quote here by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And uh, any any of you men from the South, you know who Harriet Beecher Stowe is. And I have I have uh, uh, read a numerous different history books uh, that when when Abraham Lincoln first met Harriet Beecher Stowe, he looked at her and he said, "This is the little woman that started this great war." She wrote the book Uncle Tom's Cabin. And I want to quote for you a section out of the key to Uncle Tom's Cabin, Part 4, Chapter Number 9, page 485, quotation. Our admiration of some of the laborers who have conducted the system is very great. So also is our admiration of many of the Jesuit missionaries who have spread the Roman Catholic religion among our aboriginal tribes. On oh, sure. is that interesting? Yes. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge, Drake. Yeah. I want. But another thing we got to remember about her too: she never was in the South. Yeah. She yeah. never went to the South. How would she know anything about what's going on in the South? Yeah. Yeah. She's a co-tutor, and you know what? And another thing is too: she and Victoria had a little had a little trinket. She had one half, and Victoria had the other. So that shows you the Jesuits were in complete and total control of the administration of Queen Victoria, because they were busy using the British intelligence to foment the war between the states, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, could, I, I don't know all the details of that. I'll definitely have to look into that. 
So this this brings us to another era, okay? So we, we've, we've touched on, especially American white men, we've touched on the Civil War. We've told you the, the men behind the Civil War and the re, regaining of monarchical powers by the Roman Catholic elements coming out of uh, Middle Europe with Prince von Metternich. We've showed you with... Sumner, and by the way, you've documented this, Eric. I've documented this as well on my blog. Thaddeus Stevens, my friends, has a bedside conversion to Roman Catholicism. I've, I've that's put right. it from a book that's on right. my blog. Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So, sisters of Charity, the, bla- the yeah. black sisters of Charity, by the way, they are the ones that administered his baptism on his deathbed. Yeah. I have a document on my PowerPoint. The other thing is, I just found out in a great book, it's probably the best book written on the Southern Reconstruction, telling the truth. It's called The Tragic Era. Okay. In that book, The Tragic Era, it tells you that Stadius Stevens' best friend in Lancaster was a priest, and he used to take long walks with him. <laughs> That's hilarious. And Stadius Stevens' uh, mulatto concubine, Lydia Smith, was a Roman Catholic, and she was constantly at the feet of her priest, probably getting instructions for Thad. And she yeah. is buried in a Roman Catholic cemetery in Lancaster called St. Mary's Cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right, so the next period that I want to focus attention on is the Civil Rights Era, okay? And this is a big one with the Southern uh, Jesuit coadjutors who think that the Jews are behind everything, Okay. They'll say the Jews are behind everything. I want to point your attention, my friend, to two gentlemen. One, his name is Theodore Hesburgh, and the second gentleman you need to read about is a man named John Lafarge Jr. John Lafarge Jr. is the mentor of the mentor of Martin Luther King. Uh, Eric has documented that. Eric has documented that in his book. I've documented that on my blog in great detail. And you can also read about how Martin Luther King met with Pope Paul VI. He also had a connection with him as well. Yeah, go ahead. The book I was looking for, I can't find it on my shelf, of course, is John Lafarge and the Catholic yeah. We've got a little feedback here. Um, but John Lafarge, the, the civil rights movement really began in the 30s. Yeah. And it began with John Lafarge, and you can get that book that he wrote about it. And Lafarge, he also is the tutor of A. Philip Randolph. Yeah, yeah, A. Philip Randolph. A. Philip Randolph is the head of a group of sleeping car porters, and they want full integration and the whole nine yards. Whereas in the 30s, during FDR's early administration there, there was a movement among decent and respectable blacks for a back-to-Africa movement. Right, yeah. FDR, FDR advised by Edmund Walsh, Jesuit Edmund Walsh, killed it. Yeah. There can be no permitted back-to-Africa movement in this country. So, therefore, you have Walsh, you have John Lafarge. Lafarge dies in 63, shortly before the Kennedy assassination. You have those two key Jesuits pushing this interracialism because that's exactly what the Jesuits sought to do with the first Reconstruction. The yeah. Civil Rights Movement and all of this is nothing more than the second Reconstruction in this country. Yeah. Race mix, misogyny, amalgamate, mulattoize this country so that there will be no strong white population 
with a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other, led by patriotic statesmen who resist the Jesuit tyranny in their state or in Washington. Yeah. And uh, for any listeners, go ahead, sorry. Let me say, okay, go ahead. I was okay, just going to uh, say that sounds like a radical statement. It sounds like a radical statement, but you can read the almost these very words by Dabney in his great work, The Defense of Virginia in the South. He said, the policy of our conquerors is to race mix us so there will never be the resistance of righteous Virginia freemen that make our conquerors quake in their boots. Yeah. He says that we were going to be miscegenated in with this vile st- uh, stream from the ferns of Africa. Vile yeah. Africa. That's so right. Yeah. All right. So uh, just want just want you to know, guys, and I I, I have lost about seventy five percent of my readers over these racial issues. And uh, just in case you think we're just a bunch of uh, white bigots, just uh, you know, just uh, venting our hatred on the radio waves, I want you to read a small section out of uh, a. a uh, it was like a kind of a catechism that Frederick Engels wrote. It was called The Principles of Communism. He wrote this work in 1847. I've seen some versions when it, where it's in section 21 or some versions where it's in section 22. It's one of those two versions, one of those two sections of that work. And you will read where he states very clearly at the very outset that's laying the foundation for what communism is. He says we have to integrate and miscegenate the races as an application of his view of property. Just like you dissolve the classes in property, we have to dissolve the class distinctions in race as well. Folks, the idea, the idea that a person lives for their tribe, for their race, their religion, for their kith and kin, this is as old as man himself. This is as natural as it gets. The people who invent yeah, and, and, and who, who invents these ideas? That we, that we shouldn't care about our race and prefer our race and prefer our own kind. The communists. Yeah, yeah, I want to mention something here, Drake. That's only for the white man. The white oh, man yeah. cannot prefer his own kind. The white man cannot prefer his own race. The blacks are encouraged to prefer, uh, to, uh, prefer their own race, and they should. And the Hispanics are encouraged to, uh, to be, prefer their own race, and they should. But whenever a white man does that, why, he's the demon devil himself, because we're not allowed that liberty. Because we're the, ones that resist, we're the ones that resist the Pope's white power structure. That's right. And uh, you, you will find a, a liberal. I, I go to the University of Louisville and talk to college kids about this stuff, and they, they, they freak out on me. And you will wa- it's very interesting watching the hypocrisy of this, of this line of thinking, because w- when they talk to black people, when they're trying to get them agitated against whites, race is as real and existent a thing as anything, as oxygen itself. They want them to know that race exists and your race has been persecuted. But when they talk to white men, to white men who want to prefer their own race, they look at a white man and they say, race is just a convention. It doesn't really exist. It's just kind of a, kind of an abstraction that we've invented in our minds. It is total hypocrisy. They don't believe what they're saying. No. And, here, and here's, a, here's a proof of the pudding, Drake. If you're a white man and you ever live around black people like I have, I had a black girlfriend when I was in high school. I used to go to Park District Village, which is all black, next to all white Montalva Manor. I know what it's like living around black people. And race to them is number one. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. 
Exactly right. And to white to, to, to the white liberals, they know that, and they know that they have to uh, appeal uh, to that priority that they have in their communities. So this yeah. this brings us this brings us to another important thing. Who are the people that create the all of this this liberation theology? And Eric has written so much about this. Eric, can you give us kind of a synopsis of the Jesuit order in South America and uh, how they fought against the, uh, the the Portuguese and the Spanish? Oh, okay. Um, you mean in the 1700s? That's yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, just remember the Jesuits had their 59 reductions in, in what we would call Brazil today and Paraguay. And uh, it, it encompassed 300,000 grainy Indian slaves. In fact, my former student in my class, he's a professor on Brazilian history, especially pertaining to the reductions. Mm-hmm. And so he told me that absolutely they had these, these huge colonies. They were making boo of money for the Jesuits. It was each according to his ability and to each according to his need. So it was the principles of communism there perfected on the Paraguayan reductions from 1609 to 1759 for 150 years. The Jesuits would take all their manufacturing, all the violins, all the clocks, all the hides, the tallow, the Paraguayan herb, the silver of Venezuela. They would send all this into international commerce and trade with their black ships. And these black ships, it was the second largest fleet in the world, second only to the Dutch. And they've created the huge banks in Europe, especially the one out of Marseille in France. They had these huge banks in Europe from the huge trade that they had in South America for 150 years. And then they would finance their wars, like the 30 Years' War and other wars that they would hatch out against the Protestant nations to destroy us. Well, when the Jesuits were suppressed in 1774 by France and 1767 by Spain, they were all kicked out. So in the 1800s, they were getting back their power. So that in the 1900s, they're going to pretend to be on the side of the people, and they will use their French Jesuit, uh, Tilhard de Chardin, to be the big promoter of what is called liberation theology. And liberation theology is nothing more than uh, rising up against anybody that has any property or land, overthrowing them, uh, so that some, ultimately some dictator can come to power. That's the end result of the military dictator. Well, this liberation theology is now what's called black theology by a guy named Cohn, a black liberal, a black hater of white men, and a professor, I can't remember the place, but it's Princeton. And black theology, which is what Jeremiah Wright preaches to Barry Davis Obama, it's nothing more than Jesuit liberation theology, which is the imposition of socialist communism that then results in a military dictator. Yep. And um, the, the Jesuits told... Uh, the natives uh, in South America that white men had devils in their bodies and right. they would eat that they would eat their children. Yeah, that's right. You white devils, folks. That yeah. was penned. That was originated in Jesuit propaganda. Okay, yeah. and, uh, and not only the source for that, and, and the source for that is R. W. Thompson's work, The Footprints of the Desert, written in 1896, right. in section of Paraguay. And folks, the Catholic, the New Advent Catholic Encyclopedia admits this. That you can go to the New Advent Catholic Encyclopedia. There's an article called "Reductions of Paraguay." The first, in the section that goes "Conditions of Property," it says, and I quote: "The economic basis was a sort of communism. It wasn't a sort of communism. It was communism." 
And this is where this is where communism is perfected. Folks, the Jews didn't perfect communism. The Jesuits did. No. This, this is That's right. history. Yeah. That's and right. the Jesuits are the authors and perfectors of communism. They who are the ones that were behind Fabian Socialism and Socialism in England that ultimately was imported into Russia in the nineteen seventeen revolution. The Jesuits. The Jesuits, yeah. They're, and they, they named Fabian Socialism after a Roman general. Yeah, yeah. And this is nothing new, really, in the history of uh, in the history of Roman Catholicism. Thomas Aquinas writes about it in his Summa Theologica. Uh, Thomas More writes about it in his book Utopia. And uh, I have shown from writings of Frederick Hegel that Frederick Hegel uh, bases his practical principle off the Roman scholastic doctrine of filioque. And the, the, <laughs> yes, I have documented that very clearly. The Roman, Catholic doctrines, the Roman Catholic doctrines are the base of the Roman Catholicism is the basis of all of our problems, folks. I'm sorry. It's That's not right. That's absolutely right. And you, know, you talk about communism there, the Jesuits, and the Romanism was perfecting communism. I went to the Jesuit... Uh, uh, a spiritual center not far from here in uh, in Warnersville, Pennsylvania. Yep. It used to be a uh, novitiate. Well, there's yep. a cemetery there, and I always drive down to take a look at the cemetery to see if I see any new additions. And uh, they completely reworked it, but all and, and all the, the headstones are, are are laid out, laid out, uh, from one end to another. It's a vaginal. Yeah. So it's the vaginal Virgin Mary shape that we're going to bury all our Jesuits. Structure, structure. All, all, all the Jesuits have three things on four things. Name, the day they were born, the day they entered into the order, and the day they died. And all the names on the Jesuit headstones are all white on a black base. All the names are in all capital letters because they're military soldiers. So oh, yeah. it's all university quality. There's no no different headstones. They're all the same. It's completely and totally common. Yeah, and uh, I I have one one of the headquarters of liberal theology in America. It's right here in my hometown of Louisville. It's the PCUSA, the so-called Presbyterian Church of the United States of America. They they have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the history of Presbyterianism, but somehow they get away with calling themselves <laughs> Presbyterian. Who knows how they do that? But I, I like to go into the bookstore and kind of play around, and I'm curious about what they're teaching their people every now and then. So I buy some of their theology books from time to time, and one book that I bought recently is kind of a consensus of liberal theology on a, a smattering of different theological issues. And I keep running into this, quote, this guy here. His name is Gustavo Gutierrez, okay? He is a Dominican monk. He's, yeah. Yeah, he is. He is a ma- he is like the master liberation theologian right now. Okay, and he was trained by a Jesuit named Henry de Lubac. That's uh, L U B A C. He was a French Jesuit, and he is he. These guys are the masters of the racial liberation theology. Guys, it's not Jews. It's not. They're not Jews. They're Jesuit and Roman Catholic. Jesuit trained monks within the Roman Catholic Church who were behind all this, and th- this is this is quite fascinating. If you study the history of South America, we, we've given you kind of a, a small synopsis. Who, where, where did our recent pope come from? Came from? Okay, where did he come from? He came from South America. 
And uh, if you if you know anything about the Falklands War, he was uh, a, a, an advisor to one of the I think some military general down there during the Falklands War, and the prime the prime minister of England at the time was uh, good old uh, Margaret Thatcher. She tried oh. to get, she tried to kill this guy uh, during the Falklands War. What happens to Margaret Thatcher, folks? Three weeks after our recent pope is uh, is inaugurated, she's dead. Three weeks after Pope Francis is, 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 comes into his reign, his arch enemy in England dies. Don't you think that's – I think that's more than a coincidence. What do you think about that? Well, it's no coincidence because we have to remember that the Jesuits run British intelligence. Yeah. And it's the intelligence communities that run the governments of all the worlds, of the government that they're over. The intelligence community runs it. They're all dovetailed together at the top at the Vatican as they're overseen by the Knights of Malta and the High Jesuits. Yeah. Um, another I want to add this. I want right. to add this before I forget this one, too, is that because you're a son of, of the Southern Patriots, the Southern white Protestant Patriots, I would suggest as a remedy for your listeners, who are also Southern white men, is that you start your own Sons of the Confederate South against Rome. Okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a good I'll be happy to speak for you anytime you want me. <laughs> All right, very good, very good. Um, and, and here's just one: we, we want to make sure. We, I want to make sure I don't leave any of you guys anywhere to run. Okay, I want to give you no caves to hide in. I want to give you no shade whatsoever. You, you, you're, you're going to have to face the, the glaring sun of truth here. So we need we need to deal with Freemasonry as well because Freemasonry is uh, another. Another kind of issue where they think the Jews run the Freemasonry as well. Okay, we need to get in behind the history of Freemasonry. And isn't the, uh, the, the, the Golden Revolution of 1688 kind of behind this, uh, Eric? Um, not that I know of. It may have participated. The Jesuits get kicked out of England. With the yeah. war, uh, uh, with, when William of Orange comes into England, they tried to regain power in England even after they lost uh, to William of Orange. And so, in order to in order to regain power uh, in England, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, have the, you have the glorious revolution of 1688. Not one drop of blood was shed. You have James II being driven out. Thank God. My only regret is that. That his daughter, who was married to to uh, uh, William, didn't have him executed. She, he actually let her he let him escape to France. But nonetheless, you have William of Wars in 1689 coming down. He takes the throne, and on the ships that come down, it's on the flags of the ships, the Protestant Reformation, and the liberties of the English people. That's all written on the one on the flags on the sails of those ships. So he comes in. He's crowned king. And, and in 1690, the Jesuits try to attack again. One year later, it's called the Battle of the Boyne. James II is driven out. He never comes back. He goes to France. And the Jesuits then decide to contrive to take back the throne because the Stuarts now are going to be barred from the throne because of their Catholic design of overthrowing the Protestant liberties there. And I think yeah. it's 1701, they're forever banned. 
And so the Jesuits uh, in, in the early 1700s, by 1724-25, they write every degree of Scottish Rite Freemasonry from, from 1 to 25 in the College of Clermont in Paris, France, where they train their Jesuit Jacob and Robespierre. So, so the busy writing Scottish writing. So the Jesuits now are going to call upon what's left of the Scottish Templars that are living in Scotland and have Rosalind Castle to join with them. So they're going to join up with them. And then when the Jesuits are suppressed by the Pope in 1773, Frederick the Great protects them in Prussia, and they go to Silesia, which will be the heart of the concentration camp system in Poland, later in Auschwitz, Silesia. And uh, the, while, they're, while the Jesuits are there under Frederick the Great, they're going to write the last eight degrees of Scottish rites uh, there in, uh, in, uh, in Prussia. So the yeah. Jesuits wrote every rite of the order, of the, of the craft, and you can see this in the rite of Hiram Abiff. You can see it in their use of the term IHS. I have uh, David Bernard's great work, uh, Light on Masonry. He shows you that they're using IHS in their rites with strictly Jesuit. Mm-hmm. you got to understand, folks, it, it's right when they are suppressed. That's, that, that's when the big esoteric group starts to, get, uh, starts to be, be created, the Illuminati. And who do we have as the creator of the Illuminati? A, not, not a Jew, a professional, professional Roman Catholic named Adam Weishaupt. He wasn't just a he wasn't just a Catholic layman or something who just likes some philosophy. He was a professional. He was a professor of canon law, okay, and he was right. he was Jesuit trained. That's right, and he, mo- so, he models the Illuminati after the Jesuit order. There's four yes. degrees. There's four degrees of the Illuminates. There's four degrees in the Jesuits generally. Yeah. And when they take their fourth bow, which opens the fourth bow, that's that's the body of the Jesuits. Yeah. So, folks, the, the Masonic Lodge, I, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Templar Rite. I'm, I, did a, I did a huge presentation when I was in college on Freemasonry. It was such a blast. It wasn't even like doing homework. And uh, I, 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 I did my section on the Templar Rite and the Scottish Freemasonry. I can't remember. Do they have an order? Of the, is there a Knights of Malta order within Freemasonry as well? Is there like a degree? That's one yep. of their rites. Yeah. yeah. So we have within the Masonic Lodge... And it, it, it's Templarism. Freemasonry is just Templarism, folks. It's just a revival. Albert, 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 Albert. Yeah, Albert Pike says that very thing in his Morals and Dogma. Yeah. It's Templarism. Yep. Okay, so so let, let's just summarize here, folks, because we're coming to the end of our, of our discussion, all right? Th- these are all the major points of, uh, of contention. Okay, who were the first international bankers? Were they Jews or were they white Catholics? White Catholics. Who were the first uh, the originators of Zionism, this huge movement towards a regaining of, really, it was really the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem, that was what it was called. Was it Jews behind that, or was it white Catholics? White Catholics. Who is behind all of the, the Jewish, Jewish fury literature that you have being, uh, being fomented, being, being popularized in Nazi Germany? The Roman Catholic theologians, Justin Martyr, John Chrysostom. Uh, who do we have behind the, the Protestant Reformation? It's not Jews. Jews did had nothing whatsoever to do with the, with the, with the uh, furthering of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, I don't know. Who do we have? Who do we have? By the, by the way, these, these, same, these same people, Drake, tell you that Knox was a Jew. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, I'll tell you, Knox was a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
one of the reasons I think it was in the uh, bull, the uh, Dominus Sacerdotum Noster, was one of the reasons the, the Jesuits were suppressed was because they had mastered the art of class warfare. They had, what? they had, yes. So <laughs> they were causing they were causing class warfare between the orders and the Catholic Church. Yes. Yeah. That's so why, that's why the Dominicans. That's why the Dominicans Inquisition. It took the Inquisition from the Jesuits was suppressed, and the Jesuit vengeance on the Dominicans was several thousands of them in France, cutting off their temples and letting them die in the streets. That's what the oh. Jacobins did. The wow. Yeah, I remember watching a, a recent movie on Robespierre, and they, they never say it, but they, all, they, they, they make mention of this, of, of going back to the monastery to talk to, the, to these guys at the monastery. They never say their names in the movie. It's this recent French movie on Robespierre. It's pretty fascinating. They never actually mention the guy. It's probably how they say they're talking about it. All right, so sure. who, are the, who are the masters of class warfare, the Jews or the Jesuits? The Jesuits. Okay, who are the men? Who, who, what was the driving influence behind the uh, Civil War? Was it Jews? No. It was the Roman Catholic, Holy Roman Empire representative. His name is Prince von Metternich. There's three major documents or three major events you want to look at. You want to look at the Treaty the, the, the of Verona, the Council of Vienna, and um, the uh, Cherry Council. Okay? And Just Charles Sumner... Council of Vienna is uh, 1814, 1815. Then you have the Secret Treaty of Verona, 1822. Then you have the Monroe Doctrine of 1823. And then you have the Secret Treaty, the overhearing of what the Jesuit general was talking with their assistants, and then 1825. Yeah. Okay. So that is what is behind our invasion down here, my southern brethren. Okay. And who, who was behind... Who was behind the uncivil rights legislation? One of the main players on uh, he was he was one of the main guys on the committee was a man named Theodore Hesborough. Okay, and you right. look into him. The other guy who who is behind the theology and thinking of Martin Luther King, a Jesuit named John Lafarge Jr., who created communism. The Jesuits, not the Jews, who created racial liberation theology. The Jesuits. Uh, who Ignatius Loyola was not a Jew. Ignatius Loyola was a Spanish Roman Catholic. He was not a Jew. He was a uh, so. And who is behind Freemasonry? Very clearly, it's the Templarism of the Roman Catholic Church and the revived Templar Jesuit order. Okay, we've we left you nowhere to run, my friend. We left you nowhere to run. So you know, I I thank you, Eric. Do you have, do you have anything else you want to say on the uh, broadcast here? No, I would just uh, encourage the white southern men that are listening to truly repent of their sins and believe the gospel that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and buried and rose again. And so many received him, and then gave you power to become a son of God and then to believe on his name. So once you're saved, now you have the Spirit of God to begin to resist the power of the devil as exercised through his Jesuits and all their white coadjutors and, and, and the, and the uh, white power structure that runs everything. Oh, I have I have two last things I wanted to ask you. Um, you you have I think in your broadcast you've mentioned a book that was being it's being written or will be written or published soon. It's uh, by a black lady who wrote a book on Martin exposing Martin Luther King. Can you give me the title of that book? Oh yes, I have it for sale. Uh, her name is the author is Erin Fraser. Okay. And the book is titled King: Colin, Was He a False Prophet? Okay. 
And she completely takes him apart. She, she, she mentions the far She mentions the whole civil rights movement run by the Jesuits. She shows how it's anti-black. It was never intended to benefit the black people. And she has a picture of him uh, with uh, Paul VI, with Ralph Abernathy and Marchinkus. <laughs> They're in the same picture when they went to the Vatican. So I remember Martin King, Michael King, that was his real name. He never changed his name, but Martin Luther King was Michael King. Uh, he yeah. was a member of the Bully Society, and the Bully Society, for your listeners, is nothing more than black stone bones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the, his, the university that he went to. Was uh, over, It was, uh, it was uh, kind of administrated by a Freemason, was it not? I think so. You know, he went to Boston University, too. Oh, okay. And, and Boston, Boston University is very much linked to Boston College. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there was an absolute Jesuit connection between between um, King and the Civil Rights Movement. Of course, they, again, look, you got the Civil Rights Who's reporting this? Do you think I could get the press out uh, report doing anything on me? Why, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Henry, Henry Luce, Henry Robinson Luce, the Knight of Malta, in control of Time Life, and you had Frank Shakespeare, who was the head of CBS, both of them Knights of Malta, that gave him all kinds of press when his march to Washington, what, in 1962, early 63? You had the post okay. press behind it. Um, the other question that I had, and I, I, it takes me so long to, like, read through your book because – I, I want to I want to spend so much time and 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 g- gather everything. Every chapter I read in your book is like it's mind blowing. I have to like I can't I can't just leave the chapter without digging everything out of it. So I haven't I haven't really I haven't really gotten um, to this point yet. And I wanted to see if you could maybe throw a couple things here at, at me. Um, you, you you are and I I can see it happening in in global affairs. But I, I would really like to have a quote for some friends of mine uh, on the issue of the, the, the Sino-Soviet Muslim invasion uh, and the Russian invasion that we have here. Is there any, like, books that actually document where somebody states that there, there is an intention for this to happen? Uh, or is this a, a deduction that you have from a number of global events that have happened? Um. I don't have uh, – the only statement that I have is from the Chinese with their intention to invade. Is when they were practicing in the Straits of Formosa, um, someone had kind of cost them. It was reported, I think, in the British press. And they said, what are you doing this for? And some of the men in the interview said, we were preparing for the invasion of America. What was it called? What, what, what was, it was a parade? No, no, it was a – it was a uh, – uh, military operation, a naval operation in the Straits of Formosa, Straits of Formosa. South China Sea, something around there. Okay. And they were practicing for their, their naval uh, practice for invasion. Okay. Someone was uh, questioned by them and they said, well, this is, we're preparing for the invasion of North America. I mean, in China right now, they teach Australia as New China. They're going to invade Australia too. Yeah. They're going to take New Zealand, Australia. They're going to take the whole Pacific Rim. And when they're done doing that, they'll come over to the West Coast here as the Japanese intended to do, but never were, never carried it out because the Jesuits didn't want them to succeed, but succeed. But the Jesuits want the Chinese to succeed, so they will successfully land on the West Coast. I thought I, I listened to and the it, interview. Go ahead, one, sir. One more thing. There's never been a division between communist China and communist Russia. Never. They've always worked together. Hmm. Huh. Okay. Okay. 
Um, yeah, they, I, I don't know of any fights they've had any time soon. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I know another interview that you have done, I, I thought I remember you um, quoting a book on this about uh, Cuba being used as a platform or kind of a gateway into North America. Um, did I hear that right? Yeah, um, you, you, that's correct. I mentioned that Cuba is to be a staging base because that was the that was one of the designs of Operation Northwoods. Oh yeah, that's right. To, yeah. send, to send an aircraft over there to pretend uh, it got shot down by Cuba and then supposedly foment a war. That was just that was just poppycock. It was the purpose of closing off Cuba, yeah. so that it could then be isolated from Americans so that it could be prepared for a, a, a staging base into North America. And that's why they have a large, some large ports there, because they're going to need these ports when, they, when the attack comes from Senegal and Mediterranean. By the way, the ports in those African countries are owned and controlled by the Chinese. Hmm. Just like okay. Panama Canal is controlled by the Chinese. So oh, when they right. come in, a huge sweeping attack from, from, off, from Africa and up through the Panama Canal, Cuba will be a staging base. They all kinds of weapons there to load up. And I maintain they have an underground corridor from Cuba to Miami, and they'll be showing up just immediately, uh, coming up there through some underground tunnels that they've built. And it'll be a huge surprise invasion because the press will not be reported here, just like they were, were involved in the uh, invasion of uh, Hawaii with the Pearl Harbor. The press was involved in that, keeping that a surprise. Yep, yep. Wow. Wow, that's freaky, man. And I remember when I when I watched the movie um, The Battle of Los Angeles just a couple months yeah. ago when I watched that. Man, that was freaky. That was freaky. <laughs> it just was just so yeah. realistic. Have you heard about that new robot they've released recently, the Atlas robot? Yeah, yeah. Just this month. Starbuck makes it, yeah. Yeah, up in Boston Dynamics. It is a, is a fully functional Terminator. I, I I couldn't believe I couldn't believe my eyes. I was looking at unbelievable. Yeah. Oh yeah, unbelievable. Uh, the Terminator is a real deal. Not all yeah. the super things that was in Schwarzenegger's movie, but they have the real deal going. And what better thing to do to send Terminators in to kill people, and then you don't have to risk your soldiers. Exactly, exactly. They have no will. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on. We're gonna have to have you again. Okay. My pleasure, Drake, and Lord bless, and Lord bless your listeners too. All right, thanks. Have a good one. God bless. Bye. All right, that's some interesting stuff, and I managed somehow not to be interfered for the last sort of hour of it. <laughs> so, it was very interesting things. I never heard of the tunnels from Cuba to Florida. I wonder about that one. Um, some very interesting insights, I would say. And then if you, yeah, you talk about Michael Collins Piper, and then that other guy, uh, Hendry or whatever, that was with uh, uh, old guy from Texas. I don't listen to that much, so I don't really like him. Uh, but uh. Edward Hendry, and it's, uh, geez, what's his name? <laughs> well, he makes a living blaming everything on the Jews. Uh, can't think of his name now. 
Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. He's friends with Alex Jones and all that. Anyways, uh, I thought it was good having it in this series, both sides, if you if you will, both ends of the spectrum. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if you know they're they're saying that he's that it's an ex, uh, Ignatius Loyola wasn't a Jew. I don't know. I know that Spain went through a serious purging of Jews and uh, I would not be surprised if he was influenced one way or the other or even part of it the Morano Jews. Regardless of that, I mean, you still have to look at this. I, mean, what I see when you see the Supreme Court judge justices, you see six Roman Catholic Jesuit trained Roman Catholics and you see three Jews, Tomatic Jews. I can't think of anything more revealing as far as um, Satan's system on the earth. But that's how I see it. Am I wrong? Am I an anti-Semite? I don't believe that. I believe that the Semites are the ones being killed in, in uh, Israel. So, <laughs> You want to call me an anti-Semite or bigoted against Jesuits or Jews or uh, Catholics or Jews? That's your prerogative. I mean, I know who I am, and I know I don't, I don't feel that way. I'm just trying to find the truth. And apparently, these, uh, you know, Rome, and according to the Word of God, is the fourth and final empire. So, and then you start looking at these groups, and you realize they have connections. Um, what can one do about it? Just to be honest about it, the best that we can, you know. If it doesn't make people happy, then it doesn't make them happy. Uh, it's not what it's about anyway. It's not about making people happy. Let's see. Oh, why can't I think of his name? Tex Mars, that's his name, Tex Mars. I don't listen to him that much. I have uh, a couple of recordings on this show from him, one with Steve Anderson and uh, one with this Edward Hendry. Uh, uh, Oh, <laughs> somebody that I'm sus- very suspicious of myself. So, um, <clears throat> but I think it's it's good. even even those that you know are not they're maybe disinformation agents or uh, paid shells. I think there's times when it's worth hearing what they have to say. Times. And I think with this series, the Jesuits control the world. Uh, that it's of great value, I think, to hear um, what uh, Eric Phelps has to say, and even the Tex Mars and a and an Edward Henry. And then you know, there. Nuggets of truth, and there's a few things that are rather questionable on both sides. And you know, I don't have to agree with everything that they say, and neither do you. Do you have a better understanding of what we're dealing with? And uh, that's okay. So, uh, well, I would say that I'm not a promoter of Tex Mars or of Eric Phelps, although he's. I've had numerous of his recordings the past month or two. 
uh, because of certain things that he says that I feel that are of great value. And anybody who's doing any kind of research on the Jesuits eventually will come to uh, Eric Phelps to, for some, as a source of information. We now, we don't have to blindly follow Eric Phelps. <laughs> his, his philosophy and his theology, how he thinks the world should be. But we can certainly learn from him, and so this is we can learn from Jesuits. I even had last night, what, a uh, half an hour recording of uh, a Jesuit propaganda piece. I think it's all important. It starts to build a more fuller, complete picture that the Jesuits really are in trouble. <laughs> and it's not just coming from one source. It's come from multiple sources. And uh, where are they back there? Uh, the, the truth of the fact that uh, the Jesuits were on the show with facts and information, dates, names, and that kind of thing. So, Whereas if you these people that just blame the Jews all the time for everything have really struggled, truly struggled with having a significant amount of names and institutions. So, so the next one we're going to listen to, uh, God willing, uh, uh, is uh, Eric Phelps' video, uh, at least the audio part of it, of, well, yes, actually all it is is an audio, of uh, the Jesuits control the bank banking system. And uh, this looks like this was a while ago when he did this. Um, but it's some very useful information uh, about the Jesuits, how the, how they, and the leadership of the, you know, the banks of this country and the world are all controlled by uh, Roman Catholics, Jesuits. And also I think it's good uh, as exposing him, uh, Eric, on his his philosophy of uh, how he's been affected by maybe white supremacy, that kind of thing. Um, as we get reduced in, in this country, you know, from the minimizing of opportunities, jobs, freedoms, you might as well accept the reality that race card is going to be played more and more and more. And we might as well figure out where it's coming from, too. So hopefully you'll get something out of this. Um, I know I did. Uh, little, some of the things is self-promoting stuff that's on this video a little annoying, but I guess that's what he does. So can't judge a man too hard on that one. Let's see. That's not right. We'll have to go. What the heck's that? Adobe, what? Sorry about this. Just got. Welcome. This is John Phelps. Coming to you today with Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy on. Uh, First Amendment Radio, thanking you for tuning in. This broadcast is for white men, white men who speak English, white men who are Bible-believing, white men of the race of white Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Slavic, men who have believed the gospel in the past and from which we have descended, 
And thus, this broadcast is intended primarily for our edification, even though those of you who may not be of our race, language, culture, and biblical holding can still benefit. But this is the first broadcast that I know of in the country that is has this particular stand, and it's for the benefit of what I call my people, my white Anglo-Saxon Protestant and Baptist peoples, the most discriminated, the most hated, the most maligned people on the face of the earth, especially in North America. And it is time we began to vindicate the history of our fathers. One of the ways in vindicating that history is to go after our great enemies, the Jesuit order, now ruling the papacy, and now ruling the United States of America, and having ruled the United States of America for the last at least 120 years. Thus, this is a warfare between righteous white men and wicked white men. The wicked white men being the Black Pope's international Freemasonic white power structure that oppresses every race, every language, and every culture that oppresses us the most. Therefore, we shall begin today with what the Jesuit order has done to us financially over the last month, in fact, over the last 10 years. And we are going to see that the Vatican is consolidating all of its financial power in North America into a handful of banks that will be fed by the devils, by the Pope's Federal Reserve Bank, which will act as a, as a de facto nationalization of our banks. And when that happens, what we then will have is fascism. Fascism. Well, we shall begin with a passage of Scripture. And that passage is in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's 1 Timothy 6.10. I can remember years ago when I was in English class with that battle axe of a teacher that I had in high school, Miss Best, who was um, never married and and was very um, harsh and yet firm in her rules of grammar, for which I'm thankful today, she quoted this particular passage of Scripture, and nobody in the class knew where it came from. I had no idea it was from the Bible. I never read the Bible. I was never taught the Bible at home. I was never taught the Bible in school. This is well after the removal of the Scriptures in 1962. And thus, I was raised in a pagan Roman Catholic culture where we were all ignorant of the Bible, and furthermore, we didn't care. Well, in 1 Timothy 6.10, we learn a maxim here that states that it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's not money. Money it can be used for good or for evil, just like a gun a gun can be used for good or for evil, just like a TV. A TV can be used for good or for evil. It's just like a bottle of wine. It can be used for good or evil. It depends on how it's used. And if we use it in moderation and if we use it with wisdom, as, as we're exhorted by the Scriptures, it will be for the glory of God. There is nothing wrong with money. 
and we should labor with our hands that we might acquire money so that we can give to those in need in our family, in our community, so that we don't have to be dependent upon a government to give us bogus, worthless currency or extend to us credit. If we had a prosperous middle class, we would have businessmen that were making profits, and I would have a businessman friend, and I could go to him and say, now, my friend, my white brother here, you've been blessed in your business. May I get a loan from you? And he'll say, okay, I can loan that to you, Eric. Here's my interest rate. If you want to do this, we'll sign a note, and it's a done deal. Why should I have to go to a bank to get a loan? If we were permitted, if we were not so hamstrung, there would be many wealthy men. In Lancaster County, where there's many Mennonites and many Amishmen, many farmers, there's 9,000 millionaires. That's what it ought to be. Every one of us ought to be a millionaire so we can help each other out. And the government would never have to extend any credit to us because we don't need your credit. We have private will because we ordered our lives aright. God blessed us. We were able to make money. We were able to save it to give to those in need, not to hoard it up like some like some uh, vicious, evil pope hoarding his money in a hundred banks across Europe and North America. And then that wicked sinner has the audacity when some poor little Mexican child comes up and says, oh, Holy Father, he has no, he has no shoes on. But the Pope says, oh, bless you. And he has many a cathedral with, with uh, lots of gold in the shape of coins in those cathedrals. The Pope could easily take care of the poor in Mexico. But, oh, no. He's a vicious hoarder, a King Midas, who wouldn't give anything to anybody unless it was in exchange for your soul. And this is what he's done to us, white men, to Wall Street in this last couple weeks. The Pope is the greatest lover of money on the face of the earth because he is advised by that Jesuit general, Adolfo Nicholas, who's another great hoarder of gold and silver and controller of the currencies of the world, so that they can ultimately control everything we think, do, eat. That's their end game. So now, understanding that the papacy has a tremendous love of money, we shall turn to uh, Wiley's fantastic three-volume work, one of the greatest Protestant histories ever written, called The History of Protestantism, Volume 2, Chapter 8, under the chapter of the Jesuits. Page 412, quote, the soldiers of Loyola are about to go forth. Before beginning the campaign, we see their chief assembling them and pointing out the field on which their proudness is to be displayed. The nations of Christendom are in revolt. It will be theirs to subjugate them and lay them once more bound in chains at the feet of the papal see. They must not faint. The arms he has provided them with are ample are amply sufficient for the arduous warfare on which he sends them. Clad in that armor and wielding it as he has been at pains to instruct them, they will, they will expel knowledge as night chases away the day. Liberty will die wherever their foot treads, 
And in the ancient darkness, they will be able to rear again the fallen throne of the great hierarch of Rome. But it is the service. But if the service is hard, the wages will be ample. And the saviors of that throne, as the saviors of that throne, they will be greater than it. And though meanwhile their work is to be done in great show of humility and poverty, the silver and the gold of Christendom, and I say nay, the world, will in the end be theirs. And they will be the lords of its lands and palaces, the masters of the bodies and souls of its inhabitants. And nothing of all that the heart can desire will be withholding from them if only they will obey him, the Jesuit general. Unquote. See, my white brethren, the Jesuits want all the gold and all the silver and all the money and all the lands and all the people and all the labor and everything under their control. That's always been their game. And that's what they've done to us Americans now through their power on Wall Street. Now, let's take a look at their power on Wall Street because this is part of the reputation I'm going to be using for a debate that I will be in with a gentleman named Ogner next Wednesday. And he will be putting forth the proposition that the Jews run the New World Order, the Jews run the banking. I will be putting forth the proposition that the Jesuit Order and the Papacy run the New World Order, and the Jesuits rule the banking. Now, let's take a look and see. And there's an article on the web called Cluster Stock. The title of it is, Treasury Seizing Stakes in Nine Big Banks. We read... <laughs> Well, now we know why the heads of the nine families were summoned to Washington today to have capital shoved down their throats. The Treasury will be taking preferred equity stakes in nine big banks. The WS says, despite the fact that many didn't want the money. Well, who were these banks? Now, remember, it's the Federal Reserve that creates credit out of nothing. It's created $700 billion in credit out of nothing with no collateral and it doesn't need to. Isn't that nice? It's kind of like magic. Yeah, the Federal Reserve boys are magicians. They're financial magicians, and all of a sudden, at the stroke of a pen and at the entrance of a figure, they can create credit, and credit then, when it's used, trans is transmitted into wealth. Now that, priestcraft. Well, which banks are they talking about? Well, it, the list is as follows. Number one, Goldman Sachs, $10 billion. Number two, Morgan Stanley, $10 billion. Number three, J.P. Morgan, $25 billion. Number four, Bank of America, $25 billion. Number five, Citigroup, $25 billion. Number six, Wells Fargo, 20 to 25 billion. Number seven, Bank of New York Mellon, two to three billion. Number eight, State Street, two to three billion. And number nine is Merrill Lynch, remembering that Merrill Lynch is now part of Bank of America. So let's take a look at these nine banking institutions and see now if they're run by the Jews or if they're run by white Gentiles, and white Gentiles that can be connected 
to the Jesuit order, either through education, knighthood, or their affiliation in Cardinal Egan's Council on Foreign Relations. Let's see if we can make a connection here. But to begin with, since the Federal Reserve Bank is the one extending credit to these nine banks, let's take a look at the origin of the Federal Reserve Bank or some of its affiliations or some of the men that have been in it. Well, number one, J. Pierpont Morgan was the super banker for North America from around 1880 to 1913 when he died. J.P. Morgan was a papal knight. J.P. Morgan was an Episcopalian. J.P. Morgan died in a hotel in Rome in a suite that was $500 a day. If J.P. Morgan wasn't busy serving the Pope, what in the name of Christ was he doing in Rome? According to Edmund Paris in his work, uh, The Vatican Against Europe, he mentions that J.P. Morgan was the Vatican banker for America in his day. So it's out of J.P. Morgan that will come the Federal Reserve Bank. Now let's take a look at a former head of the Federal Reserve Bank. The man's name is Timothy Giffner. Timothy Giffner, that's G-E-I-T-H-N-E-R, is the ninth president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. In that role, he also serves as vice chairman of the Federal Open Market Committee. In uh, 1999, he was promoted to Undersecretary of the Treasury, and he worked with uh, Robert Rubin, who was one of the Pope's court Jews uh, involved in the Treasury also. In 2001, he left the Treasury to join the Council on Foreign Relations as a senior fellow in the International Economics Department. He then worked for the International Monetary Fund as a director of the Policy Development Review Department until moving to the Fed in 2003. 2006, he became a member of the influential Washington-based financial advisory body, the Group of 30, and the Group of 30 is controlled by the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., just as he controls the Federal Reserve Board of Governors out of Washington, D.C., which includes Ben Bernanke. That little Jew wouldn't do anything without permission from the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., and if he would ever dare cross him, that would be the end of his governorship and probably the end of his life. Remember, it's the Jesuits who are stealing all the gold and all the silver of Christendom, which includes America, according to Wiley. It's Timothy Geithner. Now, the next individual, we see Paul Vacher. Paul Vacher was the head of the Federal Reserve Board. He was a Jew, is a Jew. CFR member. He got his one of his degrees at the University of Notre Dame under the tutelage of Theodore Hesburgh. Theodore Hesburgh is one of the most powerful American priests who has ever lived. He's still alive. He's a professor emeritus. He has in excess of 140 earned and honorary degrees. He's a pilot of the SR-71. He works in the Rockefeller Foundation. He's a member of the CFR. He's a member of, um, of the World Federalist. Theodore Hesburgh is a man of power. And Paul Vacher, this tall Jew, was one of the Pope's court Jews uh, administering the Pope's Federal Reserve Bank. And notice also here that he um, received a degree 
from Fairfield University in 1994. Fairfield University out of Connecticut is run by the Jesuits. And he also received a degree from Georgetown University in 2007. Georgetown University is run by the Jesuits. Do you see how these Federal Reserve governors are completely under the thumb and direction of the Jesuits, even though they are racial Jews, some of them? Now, let's go to another one. Herbert M. Allison. Herbert Monroe Allison was chairman, president, and CEO of TIAA CREF from November 2002 to 2008. After a short retirement period, he accepted the position of CEO of Fannie Mae in September 2008. Previously, he had been with Merrill Lynch from 71 to 99. He served as national finance chairman for U.S. Senator John McCain's 2000 presidential campaign. He uh, is on one of the advisory boards of Yale's School of Management. Uh, this guy is a big guy, and he was... Um, on the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's International Advisory Committee. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York is where the Jesuits hold all their gold. That's where our gold was transferred from Fort Knox to Federal Reserve Bank basement in New York City over a 17-year period when they stole all of our gold. But here is one we want to see. We want to look at this E. Gerald Corrigan. This is very intriguing. E. Gerald Corrigan, American banker, was the seventh president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, vice chairman of the Federal Open Market Committee. Dr. Corrigan has been a partner and managing director in the office of the chairman of Goldman Sachs since 1996. And I want to caution you, simply because an organization has a Jewish name, Goldman and Sachs, doesn't mean it's run by Jews. And let's just take a look at the power of Mr. Corrigan here, having been with Goldman Sachs. Dr. Corrigan began his career at the New York Federal Reserve in 1968, where he remained for 25 years, becoming vice president in 1976, and serving as a special assistant to Federal Reserve Board Chairman Paul Vocker in Washington, D.C. Now, what he was is he was Paul Vocker's advisor. He was Paul Vocker's Martin Borman. He was Paul Vocker's Edward Mandel House. He was Vocker's advisor. And why? Well, let's take a look. Let's look at his education. Dr. Corrigan earned a bachelor's degree in economics from Fairfield University in 1963. Fairfield is a Jesuit, one of 28 Jesuit universities in this country, and it is situated in Connecticut. He received a master's degree in 1965 and a Ph.D. in 1971, both in economics from Fordham University. So this Mr. Corrigan here is an absolute and total Jesuit temple coadjutor, trained by Jesuits, this Irish Roman Catholic, the seventh president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and while Walker was the head of it, the sixth president, he was advising him. The Federal Reserve Bank is run by the Jesuits, and the Federal Reserve Bank is modeled after the papacy. I quote to you from a book titled Secrets of the Temple, 
of the Federal Reserve run the country by William Greider, G-R-E-I-D-E-R. Simon Schuster, um, we look on page 55. Richard Siron, S-Y-R-O-N, a vice president of the Boston Fed, who served for a time as special assistant to Walker, here's another Irish Catholic, suggested that the institutional temperament and structure of the Federal Reserve System most resembled the Catholic Church. It doesn't say the synagogue of Satan. It says the Catholic Church in which he had been raised. Quote, the system is just like the church. That is, the Federal Reserve System is just like the church. It's probably why I feel so comfortable with it. It's got a pope, the chairman, and a college of cardinals, the governors and bank presidents, and a curia, the senior staff. The equivalent of the laity is the commercial banks. If you're a naughty parishioner in the Catholic Church, you come to confession. In this system, if you're naughty, you come to the discount window for a loan. We even have different orders of religious thought, like Jesuits and Franciscans and Dominicans, only we call them pragmatists, monetarists, and neo-Kantians, unquote. Here it is, the Federal Reserve System likened to the Catholic Church by an Irish Catholic himself who was a special assistant to Paul Walker. If we look in Avril Manhattan's work, The Vatican Billions, he also tells us that the Vatican has gold stored in the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, I'll tell you, if there were a bunch of Jews running the Federal Reserve Bank, do you think the papacy would allow them to hold its gold if those Jews weren't subordinate to the Pope? No way! No way! If I was the Pope, I wouldn't. Anybody that holds my gold better be my servant than do what I tell him. Otherwise, you're not holding my gold. Doesn't that make sense? Okay. We see that the Federal Reserve is controlled by the Jesuits. It's modeled after the papacy. The Federal Reserve Board, the governor of the Federal Reserve is the Pope. Now, let's take a look at these big nine banks. We shall review these nine banks after we come back from station identification. And they are Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of New York Mellon, and State Street Corporation. This is Brother Eric John Phelps, Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy. We shall return and show you how the Jesuits are controlling these biggest banks of the country. <laughs> John Phelps, Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy, returning to you on this beautiful Wednesday as we begin to examine these nine big banks that the Jesuits in control of the Federal Reserve Bank, as well as the U.S. Congress through special individuals, have granted over $700 billion. And they're going to hold us, us working stiffs, as collateral for this debt, which spells slavery for us. So we need to understand these men who have done this to us, and we need to resist them wherever we might be, whether we're a lawyer, a judge, a doctor, economist, a journalist. We need to set our sights 
on exposing the power of this Jesuit order in our country that we might not be destroyed. Because if this persists, we will be destroyed. They love money. They love gold and silver. They've hoarded it all. And now they're moving in for the kill. But you know, the Lord always raises up the standard. When the enemy comes in like a flood. And you know, my white brethren, that's you. That's you. You have the honor to be in the place of the standard that the Lord raises up against these evil, wicked, sinful, spiritual bastards who hate the Bible, who hate the Reformation, who hate the middle class, and who hate progress. If you don't believe the Jesuits hate progress, you just read Pope Pius IX's Syllabus of Errors, where he condemns completely and totally modern progress. How can you have modern progress if you have a banking system that's wrecked? All right, the first bank we're looking at is Goldman Sachs. Now, the chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs at this moment is Lloyd Blankfein, obviously a racial Jew. Gary Cohen, president and chief operating officer, who is a racial Jew. And John Winkle-Reed, which appears to be, by that last name, a racial Jewish president and chief operating officer. So we have token Jews manning Goldman Sachs. But we have some very powerful papal knights that have been with Goldman Sachs. And I will read to you this man's name. His name is Jeffrey T. Biasi. Jeffrey T. Biasi. He's a knight of Malta, a Roman Catholic. Um, Mr. Biasi is a trustee of the Carnegie Corporation in New York, the chairman and senior partner of Roundtable Investment Partners, a general partner in the Rhone Group, special limited partner of the Tremont Group, member of the board of directors of Freddie Mac. Wow. So here's a Knight of Malta on the board of directors of Freddie Mac. Do you think this Knight of Malta had anything to do with the crash of Freddie Mac? Do you think they crash? certain of their institutions for their own benefit? Of course they do. An overseer of the Wharton School, by the way, the Wharton School of Economics is the most prominent uh, economic school there in New York City, and Donald Trump, that night of Malta, attended that after he attended Jesuit Fordham. A, a trustee of the Orders Boston College. So he's a trustee of the Jesuit Orders Boston College. A, a director of CFR-controlled Bookings Institute. He is a trustee of Knight of Malta Joe P. Kennedy Enterprises. He's a member of the Trilateral Commission. That's right, Alex. Alex Jones, let's bring in the Knight of Malta Jeffrey T. Biasi as a member of the Trilateral Commission, and let's take that to Rome. Let's blame the Pope now, as we ought to. Uh, trustee of the Papal Foundation. Mr. Biasi has been vice chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase, serving as CEO of J.P. Morgan, evidencing the bond between both Morgan and Rockefeller empires. And by the way, I'll get into this, the J.P. Morgan Chase came out of Chemical Bank. And Chemical Bank was strictly run by the Knights of Malta, J. Peter Grace, who ran his W.R. Grayson company out of New York City, banked with Chemical Bank. I studied him. He had 11 Knights of Malta on his board with him. 
J.P. Morgan Chase is a continuation of the Knights of Malta Chemical Bank. He is a founding member of the Beacon Group, later acquired by Chase. He's a senior member of Goldman Sachs, serving as the partner in charge of global finance. So here's this Knight of Malta, Jeffrey T. Biasi, B-O-I-S-I. Google him. And this guy is a man of power at Goldman Sachs. So even though the name is Jewish, the Knights of Malta run it. Receiving the Cancer Research Institute's of Oliver R. Grace Award and honored by John Paul II as a steward of St. Peter. So Biasi is nothing more than one of the great merchants, one of the kings of the earth, the great merchants of the earth serving Rome, that great city. And he is the partner in charge of global finance at Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs is to be given $10 billion in this gift from the Federal Reserve Bank through the American Congress. By the way, that Barack Obama and John McCain both voted for, so what's the difference? You white men that go to vote in these federal elections, and if you vote for Obama or you vote for McCain, you're giving a mandate for those sinners to tell you what to do, and they both serve the Pope. When are we going to wake up and advocate secession? That no matter which horse is running, the House owns them both and the House wins on them both. It's worse than a casino. Goldman Sachs. On September 21st, 2008, the Federal Reserve approved a transition from an investment bank to a bank holding company, as it did Morgan Stanley, ending investment banking on Wall Street. There is no more investment banking on Wall Street. They're all holding companies now. They're safer, quote unquote, to the Pope. Well, Goldman Sachs is the first one, controlled by Rome through the Knights of Malta. The second one, Morgan Stanley. Just mentioned Morgan Stanley. Again, on September 21st, Federal Reserve allowed Morgan Stanley to change status from an investment bank to a bank holding company. And those are the last two banks, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs' investment banks. There are no more investment banks in the country. On October 14th, which was what? A day or so ago, yesterday? Yeah. Mitsubishi of Japan bought 21% of Morgan Stanley. The Jesuits in control of Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley having been born out of J.P. Morgan's bank, bonesmen are in it. They are now beginning to divest into communist China. Isn't that nice? We Americans that made Morgan Stanley all this money, we made it the bank that it became. Now it's giving our wealth to our enemies that have every intention of invading us in the future. The huge Chinese army that's being built is being built by American firms like Morgan Stanley. How do you like that, my white brother? as the Vatican is going to cut our throats using Chinese murderers when they arrive on our shores. Just remember, when they get here, you paid for it. 
Just remember, when they get here, you kept filing your 1040s when you didn't know it because you were not in the public sector. If you're like me, you were working with your hands, blooding up your hands every day, trying to, trying to hatch out a living, doing a job for somebody, and they paid you after you were finished. You weren't working for the federal government. The Internal Revenue Code doesn't apply to you. Go to LostHorizons.com. Get, get cracking the code by Hendrickson. Learn his work. And you're paying for your destruction, my white brethren, if you keep paying and you allow this to happen on Wall Street, the Mitsubishi, these Japanese who hate Americans, who still blame us for Hiroshima and Nagasaki when they were ground bursts, assembled by the Jesuits on the ground in Japan and then detonated with the aid of the Japanese high command so we could be blamed for it while Curtis LeMay's B-29s flew overhead and dropped the magnesium flash bombs laced with uranium and plutonium while the Jesuits were on the ground flipping the switch and were shielded underneath the devices and then when they emerged unscathed why they attributed their survival to a miracle of the Virgin Mary and the Japanese people can't wait to invade us and get even for Hiroshima and Nagasaki because they offered terms of surrender that were fair and the Jesuits in control of the U.S. government said no way because they had to create their airborne nuclear war hoax. Well, Ms. Mitsubishi is getting our wealth. And the capital, and in 2007 there was a capital infusion from China of $5 billion dollars so that by 2010, China would own 10% of Morgan Stanley's shares. So the Japanese will control 21%. The Chinese will control 10%. I would say that they have controlling interests nearly in Morgan Stanley. And who were the traders at Morgan Stanley who did this? Well, one of them is John T. Mack. John T. Mack, this Irishman, this white Gentile, actually he's a Greek Orthodox. He's chairman and CEO. So Morgan Stanley is run by a white Gentile, not a Jew. And a white Gentile that is beholden and subservient to the Pope of Rome. John T. Mack was protected. He was shielded from questioning. The SEC investigators interviewed Mac on August 1st, 2006. So he's protected. Mac is untouchable. He won't be tried tried for treason. He's untouchable. He's an insider trader. And that insider trading, that evil dishonesty was carried over in, in selling off our assets to China and Japan. Are you getting mad yet? Are you white men getting angry yet at what's being done to you and your families and your wives and your children? Look at your little boys. Look at your little girls. And ask yourself, do they have a future here? And if the answer is no, we have to do something about it. Or just go down and buy some manacles at the hardware store and put the chains on our children's ankles and tell them to get used to it. It's time, men of God who know the Lord, 
to be angry, to have righteous anger over what's been done to us by these savages on Wall Street. Number four, Bank of America. Bank of America. Well, Bank of America was started by the Jesuits out of San Francisco by a papal knight named Gianni. But let's take a look in the Vatican Billions by Admiral Manhattan and see what he has to say about the Bank of America. Well, he writes on page 184, quote, Even more telling is the fact that 50 years ago, they, the Jesuits, furnished A.P. Gianni, G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I, an Italian promoter, with half of the starting capital for the Bank of America. Today, the Jesuits still own 51% of the stock, unquote. Now, this was in San Francisco. I was raised near San Francisco, and this was on North Beach. Well, North Beach is where they have all the strippers. And when I was unsaved and in high school, my buddies and I used to go over to North Beach and try to sneak in and watch the strippers. Well, it's all run by the Vatican. That's where the Bank of America originated, on North Beach. And Chinoquie says in his book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome, that the Jesuits were in control of San Francisco since no later than 1850. And since Wells Fargo, which we will be examining a little later, that originates in San Francisco, the Jesuits run Wells Fargo too. And with the merger of Wells Fargo <laughs> and Wachovia, now it's another super bank, and we're going to see that then the Bank of America and, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Wells Fargo are going to be working together. Oh, what a what deadly web we weave when we practice to deceive. What a banking system we are creating from which no one will be able to escape. And our IRS will have so much wonderful, absolute power in auditing people because they will all have to go. They will have to go into these huge systems, and they don't have to go through all these multitudinous banks that people have their money in. It will only be a few banks. Are you getting angry yet? Are you being bothered yet, my white brethren in Christ? Go on, never Manhattan. He says here on page 191, well, I'll go to 190. The Tierra, however, far from reaching the poor of the world, somehow ended up as a private possession of the ablest ecclesiastical financial wizard of America, Cardinal Spellman. Cardinal Spellman was trained by Jesuits. Cardinal Spellman had a special room over here at uh, uh, Jesuit of Isaac Jacques, here in Warnersville, Pennsylvania, room number three. He was the abject tool of the Jesuit order, and that's what made him a financial wizard. It's because the Jesuits are the financial wizards. On page 191 we read, the two extremes appear to be the Jesuits and their opposites, the Palatines. The pugnacious Jesuits, about 8,000 in the U.S. alone, out of 35,000 in the order by 1983-84, they increased their income to between 300 to $350 million and were the controllers, even if tangently, of the biggest bank in the world, 
the Bank of America, unquote. Well, the Jesuits indeed controlled the biggest bank in the world, the Bank of America. It became the biggest bank in the world by 1945. The Jesuits provided the capital for its startup and own now, I would say, over 51% of the stock. They run Bank America. And the Bank America card that we used to take, those of us who are a little older, it's now the Visa card. The Visa card is the Jesuit Bank America credit card. Welcome to Jesuit USA. And by the way, the acrostics uh, involving Visa come out to 6662. Well, continuing on, who's the head of the Bank of America? Why, he is a white Gentile named Kenneth D. Lewis. Kenneth D. Lewis. The Bank of America also has, a, has many, many branches. You can check it out. I don't know I have working in it. There's a guy by the name of John Thane. John Thane used to be with Wachovia. Now he's a big kingpin in the Bank of America. Bank of America acquired Fleet Boston. In 1999, I believe, it, uh, in 2004, Fleet Boston was acquired by Bank of America. It acquired Nations Bank and Bank of America merged into the new Bank of America in 1998. Do you see how the Jesuits are controlling all the mergers? They're consolidating all their financial power into the hands of a few banks that they control. And John Thane, he is now the current president of Global Banking, Securities, and Wealth Management of Bank of America. He was also the last chairman and chief executive of Merrill Lynch, remembering that Bank of America purchased Merrill Lynch. And what's John Thane's salary? I feel like this. $83 million, the Federal Reserve Mints. Previously, Mr. Thane held management positions at the New York Stock Exchange, CEO. This papal knight, this Roman Catholic, was the CEO of the New York Stock Exchange. And Goldman Sachs, President, Chief Operating Officer, Chief Financial Officer, he amassed 300 million Federal Reserve notes in Goldman stock. It was widely believed that Mr. Thane was also a front-runner to, to head Citigroup. Merrill Lynch and Citigroup sought new leaders. He is also a member of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York's International Council Advisory Committee. Don't tell me the Jews run the Federal Reserve Bank when this papal knight, John Payne, is on its advisory board. John Payne graduated from Yale University. Pardon me. He grew up in Antioch, Illinois, earned a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from MIT, MBA from Harvard Business School. John Thane is a slave of the Pope, and he's also a member of the board of the National Urban League, which is the Pope's uh, designed to give preferential treatment to the blacks in the country. And I have a picture in my book of the head of the Urban League standing with Cardinal Spellman and Jesuit John Lafarge. You see, the Jesuits just use the blacks. They don't want to have it better. They're just using them to wreck the white race. 
And so this guy is a member of that same Urban League. John Payne. Kenneth D. Lewis. Kenneth D. Lewis, another papal knight, head of Bank of America. These are Jesuit men of power. And the founder of Bank of America is A.P. Gianni, an Italian Roman Catholic who you need to check out. Amato Gianni. And remember also the Bank of America purchased Countrywide. Countrywide Mortgage. Countrywide Financial. And Countrywide Financial, I maintain, was deliberately crashed so that it could be purchased for pennies on the dollar by Bank of America. Why do you think Countrywide Morgan extended loans, mortgages to blacks and Mexican Roman Catholics who couldn't pay the mortgage? They weren't doing it to be nice. They were doing it to justify the bankruptcy or the coming bankruptcy of Countrywide so rather than let it go bankrupt, Bank of America could buy it for pennies. That's just what the Jesuits do. We need to learn their designs. Well, that's Bank of America. So we've covered Goldman Sachs. We've covered Bank of America. We've covered Morgan Stanley. We've covered the Federal Reserve. And we will continue tomorrow with the four banks yet to be covered. I'm sure you will be intrigued. Some of these men in the banks have actually been trained by Jesuits at their institutions and run it for the Jesuit order. This is Brother Eric John Fells, Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy. I trust this is helpful for you in your discerning of what's going on in Wall Street and that you may wisely do with your money what the Lord would have you to do. And one of the first things is get it out of the hands of the Jesuits. I have a book, Vatican Assassins, wounded in the house of my friends. It's in a CD, and it's in book form. I have a PowerPoint CD that I gave at the Econcon in just last June. I added over 100 slides. I think it's very important. It's for 20 Federal Reserve notes. I have the Engineer Corps of Hell for 10. I have the my Jesuit Watch newsletter, where my second one will be going out here shortly, within a week or so. And if you want to subscribe to the Jesuit Watch, you can call me at 610-589-5300. 610-589-5300. Subscribe to the watch for this year. You'll get three issues plus the PowerPoint plus the Engineer Corps of Hell for a very low 40 Federal Reserve notes. And we're probably going to raise the price of the newsletter next year because shipping's a lot. Um, so please contact me. Purchase these things for your edification. And uh, I also do some uh, counseling. My price is $50, 50 Federal Reserve notes per half an hour. You may call me at 610-589-5300, and I would be happy to give you the history of the Jesuits and so on. Now, I request, and if you also, you may, wish, you may go to biblio.com and order my book. Just go to Biblio. You can order it with PayPal or go to, to ad1611reformation.com and order it there. And uh, you may also um, support First Amendment Radio. Now, I have not been able to talk about Brother Nicholas too often, but I want to tell you, Brother Nicholas is one of the most generous men I've ever met. He never, ever tells me what to preach or teach. He questions some things sometimes. He's kind enough to have this broadcast because I could never pay for it. So please, before you get anything from me, 
Send a donation to First Amendment Radio. Brother Nicholas. We'll thank you for the broadcast. This is Brother Eric John Fellas, looking for the truth in history and prophecy. We shall return tomorrow, Lord willing, and finish up. Jesuit thank you. Amen. Welcome, Brother Eric John Phelps, coming to you today, this beautiful Thursday. It's really Indian Summer Day here in Pennsylvania on August, uh, pardon me, October 16th, 2008. And uh, this will be the second part of the, the, what I am calling the great Jesuit financing of Wall Street and its breakdown to nine banks and the control or the help or coming to the aid or gifting to these banks by the Jesuit orders, the Black Pope's Federal Reserve Bank. Now, that's a novel thought here in the midst of many conspiracy uh, theorists. I hate to use that word, the the conspiracy uh, historians, that it is the Jesuit order and the Black Pope that controls the Pope's Federal Reserve Bank of New York City, not the Jews. It is not Jew York. It is Jesuit York. And so the great decision that we Americans will have to make in the very near future is, did the Jews cause this great financial meltdown in Wall Street, or was it the Jesuit order? And that choice will determine our nation's destiny. That one choice right there. So it is my purpose to show you the scripture of truth, how we indeed live during the times of the Gentiles, and that Jerusalem is trodden down by the Gentiles and will continue to be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled at the second upcoming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grand and glorious revelation when every eye shall see him, and not a day before. Thus we are in the times of the Gentiles, pursuant to Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And thus Gentiles rule the world's governments, Gentiles rule the world's finances, Gentiles rule the world's academia. Gentiles rule the world's religion. That even includes Judaism. Gentiles rule it all, and specifically white Gentiles, because I believe in the supremacy of the white race, as evidenced by the cultures that it builds for good, and evidenced by the horrible, terrible conspiracies that it carries out for evil. That's why I call this the Pope's international white power structure centered in Rome. And thus the devil has chosen the white race for his greatest accomplishments, even as the Lord has chosen the white race for his greatest accomplishments. White supremacy is a historical fact that we must accept if we are going to understand the present day. There is no such thing as universal equality among the races and nations. It doesn't exist in humanity. It doesn't exist among equestrians. It doesn't exist among nature. It's non-existent. There's no such thing as universal equality anywhere, anytime, anyplace. And we should not be striving for it. Don't you like to see a redwood tree in contrast to a, a blade of grass? What if there was no grass? What if there was no bushes? 
What if all dogs were the same? What if every dog was a poodle? God forbid. <laughs> Never forget my sister's poodle, Caesar. Couldn't stand him. Don't we enjoy German Shepherds and Rottweilers and wire-haired terriers and every other kind of dog? Don't we enjoy Arabian horses and quarter horses and Appaloosas and, and uh, uh, a host of other different kinds of horses? Why don't we just all race mixed horses and have one match, one big horse? Why don't we race mix all the dogs and have one big, one dog only? Why don't we race mix all the peoples and have just one kind of person? Because it's antichrist. It's evil and it's wicked. And furthermore, in exposing the wicked white power structure that the devil uses to rule his present world empire, we are now going to continue our investigation into the banking system of New York City. Again, reiterating the article of yesterday on cluster stock, on October 14th, around 9, 10 a.m., uh, we were informed that the Federal Reserve Bank, in extending its what, $700 billion line of credit to the Congress, uh, the Congress is going to be bailing out Goldman Sachs to the tune of $10 billion, Morgan Stanley to the tune of $10 billion, J.P. Morgan to the tune of $25 billion, Bank of America to the tune of $25 billion, Citigroup to the tune of $25 billion, Wells Fargo and Company to the tune of $25 billion, Bank of New York Mellon to the tune of 2 to $3 billion, and State Street to the tune of 2 and $3 billion. Well, we covered yesterday, we covered uh, Goldman Sachs and we covered Morgan Stanley. And today we're going to cover a little bit more on the Federal Reserve Bank to show that it is controlled by the Pope's papes. And we are also going to show that all these banks, these nine banks, including Merrill Lynch, which is not listed here, purchased by Bank of America, every one of them except one is run by white Gentiles, every one of them. There is only one at present that's run by a Jew, but he's subject to the Pope. We will also see that the only house allowed to fail Lehman Brothers, was run by a Jew. A white Gentile was not running Lehman Brothers at the time it dropped and fell. And that Jew, Richard Fold, is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he is also a member on the directory or board of directors of the Federal Reserve Bank. So this Jew, Richard Fold, is a traitor to his own Jewish people, he agrees to get rid of Lehman Brothers, obviously, because if he was really a rebel and refused to go along with it, he'd be screaming to high heaven. Come on my program, Mr. Fold, and tell me the story. You're welcome to come on anytime you wish. Let's go after the Jesuits together. It's time you stuck up for your own Jewish people in New York City because they're being set up for annihilation. They're being set up to be blamed for this entire Wall Street fiasco. Why don't you come on my program and tell us the truth, if you dare? Okay, we covered those two banks yesterday. Now I want to go back into the Federal Reserve again, because 
I think there are many of you who believe that uh, the Jews run the Federal Reserve. We've heard this for years, and Philip's got to be out of his mind to think that the Federal Reserve is run by the Pope. Well, let's go back. Yesterday I read to you the secrets of the temple, how the Federal Reserve is patterned exactly after the Catholic Church. Please listen to the previous broadcast. Now I will go a little bit more into uh, Avril Manhattan. Well, we're going to go now to a site on Wikipedia, and they have some things that are truthful here, so I'll just take the high points. You can't lie about certain obvious truths. And so we shall begin here at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Now, there are 12 Federal Reserve Banks. That's why it's a Federal Reserve Banking System. The, the uh, Board of Governors meets in Washington, D.C. It is not one of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks. That's where the, the centralization of power is in Washington, D.C., of course, because that's where the Jesuits ruled the capital from Georgetown University and uh, uh, University, Catholic University of America. That's where the, the papal nuncio resides, in Washington, D.C. Georgetown University is just four miles away from the capital. Georgetown rules the capital. Georgetown rules the Federal Reserve Bank, the Board of Governors. And Fordham University, in conjunction with two other universities, Jesuit universities, run the New York Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the one of the 12, it's the greatest of the 12, because it's there that the Jesuits have their gold hoard. Remembering, as we covered yesterday in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love for the root of all evil. For the love of money is the root of all evil. It's not money, it's the love of it. When you love money, you'll do anything for it, then you're an unsaved, wicked sinner doomed for hell. And that's what these wicked, unsaved Jesuit sinners doomed for hell are doing. They'll do anything for money, and they'll steal everything they can get their hands on. And they've done it to our wealth here in America. So it's time we woke up, white men, for whom this, the broadcast is for, and realize the Jesuit order, those wicked white Gentiles, have taken our wealth from us. Well, Federal Reserve Bank of New York is the most important of the 12 Federal Reserve Banks of the United States. It is located at 33 Liberty Street, New York, New York, with a secondary office in Buffalo, New York. Does that ring a bell with any of you? I remember when I was passing through um, lower New York, and I stopped by a Catholic church to visit it, because one of the things I do is I go in every Catholic church I can see, and I check out all the symbolisms. I check out his design. I see if the Jesuits are involved. You know, I check out the Vatican Empire. The churches are not churches. They're, they're uh, ambassador suites, for lack of a better term. So as I check out the empire, I check out their various hotels. Well, I talked to one priest in there, and we got to talking about the Jesuits, and he said the Jesuits are very powerful in Buffalo. So I went and checked it out. And lo and behold... I found that there is a college in Buffalo by the name of Canisius College, named after a famous German Jesuit. So now in the, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York City, it's not only under the Aegeus of Fordham University in the Bronx, but it is also near and in the same region of the Jesuit Canisius College of which Hillary Clinton has spoken at many times. Continuing, 
It is responsible for the second district of the Federal Reserve System, which encompasses New York State, the 12 northern counties of New Jersey, Fairfield County in Connecticut. Why would they add Fairfield County in Connecticut? Isn't that a little bit out of the way? Well, it just so happens there's a Jesuit university in Connecticut in Fairfield County called Fairfield University. <laughs> Is this beginning to make sense to you now, a little bit? So the district, the second district of the Federal Reserve System, of which the Federal Reserve Bank of New York is the head, in that district there are three Jesuit universities. And those Jesuits, you can know, are educating the young who are going through their universities to ultimately man the Federal Reserve Bank, and we will see them in a few minutes. Remember, the Jesuit universities are the military fortresses in which they, from which they conquer a country in which they're situated. Continuing on. The New York Fed was open for business on November 16, 1914, under the leadership of Benjamin Strong, Jr., who was previously president of the Bankers Trust Company. He led the bank until his death in 1928. The bank grew rapidly during the early years, necessitating a need for a new home. 33 Liberty Street. And by the way, we'll get back to Benjamin Strong in a minute. A public competition for design of the building, and then and they said the bank was moved to its current location in 1928. One year before the stock market crash, one year after the creation of the American Lange, the American tongue of the sovereign military order of Malta. So Archbishop uh, Patrick Cardinal Hayes of New York City creates the Knights of Malta here in America in 1927, 1928. The Federal Reserve Banks moved to the heart of New York City on Liberty Street. 1929 comes the crash thanks to Roman Catholic Knight of Malta, Joe Kennedy, one of the three Irish short sellers. You see how the Vatican so cleverly and, and cunningly sets its trap and then springs it, and nobody knows who sprung it? Continuing, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York maintains a vault that lies 86 feet below sea level, resting on Manhattan bedrock. By 1927, the vault contained 10% of the world's official gold reserves. Hmm. By 1927, 10%? Currently, it is reputed the largest gold repository in the world. Well, this cannot be confirmed. The Swiss banks do not report their gold stocks. and holds approximately 5,000 metric tons of gold bullion. It's $160 billion as of March 2008, more than Fort Knox. Well, all the gold has been taken out of Fort Knox over a 17-year period, and it has been transferred into the basement of the Federal Reserve Bank. And officially, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York City has in excess of 600,000 gold bars. I have a picture of them in my book, Vatican Assassins. I also have a picture of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and Vatican Assassins. Pictures tell a thousand words. The gold hoard of North America is in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York City, and it, for the most part, is our gold. 
FDR gave title to the nation's gold in 1933 with a declaration of bankruptcy. That dirty Freemason, apostate Protestant sinner. And it wasn't long after, after World War II, when the Jesuits started moving it out of Fort Knox, right into the Federal Reserve Bank in New York City. And Dr. Peter Beter exposed this in around the 1970s, how Fort Knox had been robbed, how there was only junk gold in it, and it was all covered up. You need to get some of Dr. Peter Beter's uh, audio letters concerning Fort Knox. And Dr. Peter Beter was a Roman Catholic who blew the whistle. Okay, so we have this gold hoard in the Federal Reserve Bank of New York City. Now, in Avril Manhattan, Manhattan's great work, The Vatican Billions, written in 1983, we read on page 206. Well, we'll read a couple of verses before here, lines before. Similar concerns in which the Vatican's millions were invested and reinvested existed practically all over Europe. We have already glanced at the industrial, commercial, and financial concerns with global ramifications. The Vatican, as we have already reiterated, has large invest investments with the Rothschilds of Britain. Who runs who? The Rothschilds of Britain or the Vatican? France and America with the Hambros Bank, that is white Gentile, Knight of Malta, with Credit Suisse, that is white Gentile in London and Zurich. In the United States, it has large investments with the Morgan Bank. Remember, Ben Strong was with J.P. Morgan when they set up the Federal Reserve Act, when they drew it up at Jekyll Island. Benjamin Strong was J.P. Morgan's agent to Jekyll Island. And according to Edmund Paris, J.P. Morgan was the Vatican's banker for North America. So no wonder... The Vatican has investments with Morgan Bank, the Chase Manhattan Bank, they, they now being J.P. Morgan Chase in conjunction with Chemical Bank, the First National Bank of New York, the Bankers Trust Company, and others. The Vatican, as we have already seen, has billions of shares in the most powerful international corporations, such as Gulf Oil, Shell. Guess who controls the oil industry, folks? It's the Pope. He also controls Saudi Arabia. He controls OPEC. He controls Venezuela. He shut down our oil reserves in North America. You listen to Lindsey Williams. He will tell you that the men of power in this country deliberately shut down our oil reserves. Why? Because those men of power are kissing the slippery toe of the Pope. Continuing. Shell. General Motors, Bethlehem Steel, General Electric. General Electric provides most of the top electrical and magnetic technology for the building of anti-gravity craft in this country. All housed underground in the deep underground military bases. Without General Electric, there are no flying saucers. International business machines, that's IBM. Oh, now we have Thomas J. Watson, IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black. The Vatican controlling IBM. TWA, Transworld Airlines. That's why we understand the conflict between Howard Hughes and TWA. And ultimately Howard Hughes being taken over 
by the Vatican with their most faithful tool, and Knight of Malta, who's still alive, Robert A. Mayhew. That's right, we name names on this broadcast, because we're all about ready to... Continuing, at a conservative estimate, these, amount, this, these amounts to more than $500 million in the U.S. alone. Continuing, the Vatican's treasure of solid gold has been estimated by the United Nations World Magazine to amount to several billion dollars. A large bulk of this is stored in gold ingots with the U.S. Federal Reserve Bank, while banks in England and Switzerland hold the rest. My mind. Now, do you think the Pope would store his millions, billions in gold in banks that he didn't control? Do you think that he would allow accursed Jews that the Vatican has murdered for, for the last 2000, for the last 1,500 years, do you, if it were his enemies, do you think he would allow them to hold his gold? Why, it's absurd. It's the Pope's Federal Reserve Bank, and the Jews involved with it are just his court Jews, just his uh, Hofjuden. Now, let's take a look at the past presidents of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York City, where all the gold is. The first one was Benjamin Strong, Jr. He's a white Gentile. He was J.P. Morgan's man at Jekyll Island in the drawing up of the Federal Reserve Bank. Then we have George L. Harrison. Now you might say, what about Warburg? Warburg, the token Jew, was a Jekyll Island too. That's right. But he was not a man of power. Just like in the mafia. Meyer Lansky was, a, was a, the mere treasurer for Lucky Luciano. Lucky Luciano tells us in his book, in the last will and testament of Lucky Luciano, Lansky didn't have a vote because he wasn't Sicilian. The devil always uses brilliant Jews to support his white Gentiles in any endeavor. But these Jews don't rule. Why? Because it's the time Gentiles. They are the tale of all nations, Deuteronomy 28. And this works out perfectly in an objective analysis of history. Benjamin Strong. Number two, George I. Harrison, 1928 to 1940. Another white Gentile. Alan Sproul, 1941 and 1956, another white Gentile. Alfred Hayes, 1956 to 1975, another white Gentile. Paul Bocker, 1975 to 1979. Oh, he's a Jew. Oh, sure he is. But he's a member of the Pope's CFR. And I believe he has an honorary degree from Jesuit Georgetown University. Paul Bacher kisses the feet of the Jesuits at Georgetown University, and thus it's the Jesuits of Georgetown University through Paul Bacher that is advising, that are advising Barack Obama. Because Barack Obama said one of his advisors is Paul, uh, Paul Bacher. The Jesuits are secretly backing Barack Obama, and they are openly backing John McCain. which we shall comment on at another broadcast tomorrow specifically. Anthony M. Solomon, 1980 to 1985. Here's another Jew. But he's a member of the CFR. Well, Eric should be back. and should be in another 10 years. Shall we turn out the station and get the
John Phelps, the Book of Truth and History and Prophecy. We left off with naming the past presidents of the New York branch of the Federal Reserve Bank. Benjamin Strong, Jr., George I. Harrison, Alan Strau, Alfred Hayes, the two token Jews, Paul Rocker, Anthony M. Solomon. And now we get to three most significant white Gentiles. Gerald E. Corrigan. I touched on the fact yesterday that Gerald E. Corrigan was uh, Jesuit trained. He was Jesuit trained and uh, at Fairfield University in Connecticut, which is part of the second district of the Federal Reserve of which the New York Federal Reserve Bank oversees. He also got his Ph.D. in economics in 1971 from Fordham, from the Jesuits at Fordham. Just like G. Gordon Liddy went to Fordham University. That wonderful man. That killer of Officer Tippett in Dallas. Okay, so now uh, this Jesuit temporal coadjutor, E. Gerald Corrigan, was the seventh president of the New York Federal Reserve Bank protecting the Pope's gold for him, and I would imagine that he is also a knight of Malta. Now, here's another guy after him, William J. McDonough. He's the eighth president. What about him? I have him in my book. Well, he got his master's degree from Georgetown University from the Jesuits, and he got his bachelor's degree from the Jesuits at their Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. Jesuit trained to the hilt. He is also a knight of Malta, he is also on the board of directors for the Bank of International Settlements, that World Bank, essentially. And he is also a director on the Council on Foreign Relations, through which the Pope rules the country. And he is also a member of the Group of 30, which is probably the world's top 30 bankers. William J. McDonough, this Irish Roman Catholic Knight of Malta, Jesuit-trained Jesuit coadjutor, was the eighth head of the New York Federal Reserve Bank, regarding the Pope's gold. Now, I want to go back a little bit and talk about a man that very few of us have read anything about. During the days of Benjamin Strong, when he was the first Federal Reserve chairman, the first Federal Reserve uh, president of the New York branch, there was a very powerful Irish Roman Catholic, American, Irish American, for lack of, we have to hyphenate these words, I'm sorry. We got African American, every other kind of American, we're going to call them Irish American too, so everybody knows they're white. And this guy's name is Thomas Fortune Ryan, and you can read about him in a book called Real Lace America's Irish Rich by Stephen Birmingham. And in this tremendous book, on page 152, we read of Thomas Fortune Ryan. Ryan had ordered Baruch to get Duke, and at one point became so alarmed at the possibility that he would actually succeed that he rushed into Baruch's office saying, I want to annoy them, not ruin them. But I knew, I knew he was pleased, Baruch commented. The result of the tobacco war with stocks and the various companies being driven up and down by the two opponents and their hired manipulators, was that both Duke and Ryan ended up making huge profits and both men were pleased. Ryan's operations went on to extend into coke, coal, oil, lead, and typewriters, mainly royal typewriters. I had one of those once. 
His activities spread from New York City to Ohio, Virginia, West Virginia, and Illinois, and into the Belgian Congo, where he was asked to reorganize the diamond mines by none other than King Leopold of Belgium himself. And remember that King Leopold II of Belgium uh, organized the mutual annihilation of 10 million uh, Belgian Congolese blacks. Hey, you black folks, you might be listening. That shows you how much the papacy loves you. They love to kill you. And King Leopold II is a classic example of this. And there's a book you need to read called, called King Leopold's Ghost. It tells of this mass murder of over 10 million blacks in the Belgian Congo. It goes on here on page 152. Ryan had ordered Baruch to get Duke, and at one point became so alarmed at the possibility that he would actually succeed. That he, look, I already read that, pardon me. Page 153. Thomas Fortune Ryan, at the age of 54, was worth $50 million. A few years later, he was worth $100 million. When he died, by the way, in 1928, he was worth two. He had 200 million dollars, silver dollars, gold dollars, before they were ever confiscated. That he willed to his family. Thomas Fortune Ryan was the tenth, one of the ten wealthiest men in this country, and we never hear about him. Thomas Fortune Ryan was the master of Bernard Baruch, and it was Bernard Baruch that advised Woodrow Wilson to sign the Federal Reserve Act. On, the, on December 23, 1913, at the behest of his massa, Thomas Fortune Ryan. Again, Bernard Baruch encouraged, advised Woodrow Wilson, the traitor, to sign into law two days before Christmas the Federal Reserve Act at the behest and order of Thomas Fortune Ryan. That Jew, Bernard Baruch, that Hofjuden for the Pope, was doing exactly what his Irish Catholic master told him to do. So that's real ace. Now, touch Bernard Baruch, Corrigan. Now that's the, the portion I have today on the Federal Reserve Bank. The Federal Reserve Bank is run by the Pope for the benefit of the Pope to restore his new world order, which is nothing more than a reversion back to the Pope's dark ages in the words of Aleister Crowley, that he was for a, a, a feudal government run by initiated nobles. And that's exactly what we have now. The new world order is the Pope's dark ages restored overseen and run by high-level Freemasons, Knights of Malta, and any other order, the Constantinian order, the Knights of St. Grady, all by initiated nobles. And those of us who are not in the club, we're nothing. As much as I can't stand the filthy mouth of George Carlin and all the profanity that he used, that summation that he gave that one night was absolutely right on target. He could have only improved it if he would have said, and they are the Pope's Roman hierarchy overseen by the Jesuit order. But that would have got him killed within 24 hours. So the Federal Reserve Bank is run by Rome. Now, the Federal Reserve Bank is, and going back to our banking list here, the Federal Reserve Bank is going to give $25 billion with this bailout to the Bank of America. Well, the one who runs the Bank of America, or is the head, is another white Gentile by the name of Kenneth Lewis. Kenneth Lewis. 
The Bank of America was started by the Jesuits, and as I touched on yesterday, 51% of the stock back in 1983 was owned by the Jesuit order. And the buyout of countrywide financial was orchestrated to, through two Roman Catholics because the head of countrywide at the time was Angelo Mazzulio. And Angelo R. Mazzulio is a Roman Catholic Italian-American. That's what they call themselves, Italian-Americans. They can't be called Americans now, you know. You gotta be, if, you're, if you're Roman Catholic, you've got to hyphenate your, your, your race. You can, I can't call myself a Swedish-American or an English-American or a Welsh-American. You have to call yourself an Irish-American, right? That means you're Catholic. I watched the Philadelphia Parade on Columbus Day, and you got all those Italian Catholics, Italian-Americans, waving their Italian flag. If you love Italy so much, go back to Italy. If you love Puerto Rico so much, go back to Puerto Rico. If you love Mexico so much, go back to Mexico. Don't wave that stinking flag in my face. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with America. And it's an abomination. And it ought to be illegal. Continuing on now, we have collusion between that Jesuit-trained Chris Dodd and as a friend of Angelo, when he got a sweetheart deal, and McCain's even been talking about that. But you see, McCain and Chris Dodd are good brother Jesuit coadjutors. So Angelo, Mazzulio, and Kenneth D. Lewis worked together, I believe, in collusion to bring about that sweetheart deal when they bought up countrywide mortgages. So now the Jesuits own and control all those mortgages through their Bank of America. Don't you like it now? Isn't that just wonderful that they control all this real estate? Well, on top of that, they also purchased Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch was known as the Catholic house on Wall Street for up until 1970. Isn't it interesting that the Bank of America would bail out Merrill Lynch, but they wouldn't bail out Lehman Brothers? Because, you see, Lehman Brothers was run by a Jew, even though he was serving the Pope. But there were many Jewish holdings within Lehman Brothers. And so there are many broken, financially broken Jews now as a result of the crash of Lehman Brothers. And that's just what the Jesuits wanted. Lehman Brothers was the Jewish house. Merrill Lynch was the Catholic house. They saved the Catholic house and allowed the Jewish house to go down. What is this? It's the Council of Trent on Wall Street. Continuing, they also, uh, John A. Thane now is, okay, they purchased not only Merrill Lynch, they purchased Nations Bank in 1998, Fleet Boston in 2004, MBNA in 2005, LaSalle Bank in 2007. The Jesuits, through their Bank of America, have been buying up everything. And the two big houses allowed to fail, Lehman Brothers run by a Jew, Richard Fold, and the other one, a bank, Washington Mutual, run by another Jew, Alan H. Fishman. And so now the Jesuits, they can begin to blame certain Jews for this whole collapse. Isn't that nice? Do you see how they work, my white brothers? Only a brilliant, devious white mind can work like this. That's why it takes righteous white men to resist these wicked, sinful white men. Will you join me? 
We trust the Lord. Okay, now, that's Bank of America. That's the fourth big bank. The fifth one is Citigroup. Citigroup was built by a Jew, Sanford I. Wheel. But I believe it was taken over by the Knights in 2002. Today it's headed by a German British citizen. He has a dual citizenship in Germany and England. And it's Sir Winfred France Wilkin Bischoff. Sir Bischoff. Isn't that nice? He's a foreigner running Citigroup. They're going to get $25 billion of our money. How nice. But the grab we really need to look at is this Charles O. Prince III. Charles O. Prince III. Let's take a look. Charles O. Prince III was, uh, he succeeded Sandy Wheel as CEO of the firm in 2003 and as the chairman of the board 2006. Who is this Charles Prince? I wonder if he's any relation to Eric Prince of Blackwater. Maybe somebody could find that out for me. It says down here in history, Charles O. Prince III was born in California in 1950, went to UCLA, University of Southern California for his bachelor's degree, master's degree in Juris Doctor. He continued his education going on to receive a master's of law degree from Georgetown University. There he is. Jesuit Georgetown. So here we have another Jesuit coadjutor intimately involved in uh, having headed Citigroup, now headed by this German foreigner, and they're going to get $25 billion. Another white Gentile. That's the next white Gentile. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is headed by a white Gentile named John Stump. And the chairman, his name is Dick Kavanovich. Another white Gentile. So we've got two white Gentiles probably Roman Catholic, heading Wells Fargo, because Wells Fargo's out of San Francisco, and the Jesuits have ruled San Francisco since 1950, or 1850, pardon me, according to Father Charles Chiniqui in his great book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome. And I quoted in my book, Vatican Assassins. Well, here we have two white Gentiles, John Stump and Dick uh, Kovanovich, running Wells Fargo. And what does Wells Fargo do? Well, Wells Fargo... Purchases Wachovia. <laughs> and now they're huge. That means every Wachovia bank in Pennsylvania is all run by Wells Fargo. And now Wells Fargo is, has a sweetheart deal with Bank of America to work together in financial transactions. And by the way, Wells Fargo is getting $25 billion too. Just give all your money to the Pope. If you don't want to resist the Pope, then fall down and serve him and give everything you own to him, because if you don't, they're going to take it anyway. That's right, my white brothers. Next one, J.P. Morgan Chase. This was the most interesting discovery. I asked myself, whatever happened to Chemical Bank? Chemical Bank was the bank that J.P. Grace used to use, J. Peter Grace used to use for his W.R. Grayson Company. When I researched him 20 years ago, uh, J. Peter Grace was the head of the American branch of the Knights of Malta. He was overseeing the Kennedy assassination for Cardinal Spellman, which includes Leia Coca and, and uh, Carter DeLoach and Henry Luce and, and uh, Alexander Haig and a whole host of others. Interesting that I can find these things, but the Justice Department can't find it. 
That tells you who controls justice in this country. So what happened to Chemical Bank? By the way, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase today is James Dimone, and he is CEO, another white Gentile. Well, what happens? Chemical Bank, uh, well, by the way, uh, J.P. Morgan has in the past been headed by a Jesuit. <laughs> and that Jesuit's name is Chris uh, Chris Lowney, a one-time managing director of American financial giant J.P. Morgan, the former Jesuit himself and graduate of the Jesuit Fordham University of New York. Lowney uh, explained how each of the virtues can be applied to today's management. Pardon me, this type is so small I can hardly read it. But here we have. Chris Lowney, he was a Jesuit, and he had a J.P. Morgan bank. You see how the Jesuits run J.P. Morgan? And just find him on the, on the web. It's under Catholic Education, Light of Truth, and look under Chris Lowney, L-O-W-N-E-Y. Another stinking Jesuit running the big banks. Well, what happened with Chemical Bank? Chemical Bank was run by, by uh, the Knights of Moulton. And in 1986, it acquired Texas Commerce Bank. At the end of 1991, it acquired Manufacturers Hanover Corporation. 1996, Chemical acquired Chase Manhattan Corporation. And continued under the Chase name until acquiring J.P. Morgan and Company in December 2000 to form J.P. Morgan Chase and Company. Throughout all these acquisitions, Chemical's original management team remained in charge of both the bank and its pre-investment group. J.P. Morgan Partners until acquiring Bank One in 2004. J.P. Morgan is run by the Knights of Malta. And there is a telex from the J.P. Morgan office in New York City to the Vatican, according to Martin Lee in his great article, Who Are the Knights of Malta? So J.P. Morgan is getting $25 billion. That's number seven. That's two more to go. Bank of New York Mellon. Who's the head of this? Why, it's Robert P. Kelly, another white Gentile. White Gentile Robert P. Kelly, CEO. Now, what about this, Ron Kelly? Who is this? He's the CEO. Well, let's check out the New York Mellon Corporation. It's a global financial services company formed on July 1, 2007 as a result of the merger of the Bank of New York and the Mellon Financial Corporation. Mellon was big in Pennsylvania, especially in the Pittsburgh area. So this is recently formed. It's only uh, a little over a year old. And they're getting 2 to $3 billion from the bailout. Well, let's take a look at Robert P. Kelly, this white Gentile. Maybe we can learn something about him who heads this bank right now. Robert Kelly, Bob P. Kelly, born in 1954, CE of Bank of New York Mellon. Robert Kelly grew up in Nova Scotia and went to St. Mary's University in Halifax. Does that ring a bell with some of you? St. Mary's University in Halifax is a Jesuit university. Do you know who contributed millions of dollars to that university? 
and Lewis Mortimer Bloomfield, Bernard Bloomfield and Lewis Mortimer Bloomfield, two Jews, racial Jews, who converted to Catholicism, became Knights of Malta. They financed that Jesuit institution, and they also were financing the Pope's David Ben-Gurion in Israel in the Pope's uh, Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem. All of this at a St. Mary's University in Nova Scotia, Halifax. After getting an MBA in, in, in uh, Cass Business School, he spent 19 years in Toronto Dominion Bank. He joined First Union as Chief Financial Officer in 2000, played a key role in its merger with Wachovia. So here now the Jesuits merging First Union with Wachovia, and then they're going to merge Wachovia with, with uh, Wells Fargo. And Bill O'Reilly isn't telling us about this on Fox News, is he? Nor is Keith Oberman those sinners. Or Chris Matthews, that Jesuit. He then moved to Mellon Financial in February 2006 and sold to the Bank of New York within a year. He is the CEO of the new merged entity. This is a Jesuit, Robert Kelly, who is the CEO of the Bank of New York, Mellon, another white Gentile. Number nine, State Street Corporation. They're getting two to three billion. Who's the CEO? Ronald Logue, L-O-G-U-E. Another white Gentile. And what can we find out about Ronald Logue, L-O-G-U-E, the CEO and chairman of State Street Corporation? Well, if we go to Wikipedia, we need to know tell us. <laughs> but Ronald Logue was trained by Jesuits at one of their colleges. And the college that he was trained at was Boston College. Ronald Logue is another Jesuit temple coadjutor trained by the Jesuits at Boston College, and he is also on the board of directors of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. In fact, there is a Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, Federal Reserve Bank of New York City, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, every one of them, Jesuit cities with Jesuit universities, Jesuit, Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, Federal Reserve Bank of New Orleans, all with Jesuit universities in those cities. Every one of them. And they're getting two to three billion. So these nine banks that are getting money as a result of this bailout, every one of them is run, has been run by white Gentiles except one, and he is a Pope's, court, Pope's Jew, a member of the CFR. So let's dispel this nonsense that the Jews run the banking system on Wall Street. Wall Street is the Pope's. It belongs to his Knights of Malta high-level Freemasons, overseen by the Archbishop of New York, that same center who brought down the World Trade Center on 9-11, that same center who has orchestrated this financial crash so that they can nationalize our banks and the government controlled by the Pope can control every one of our assets, real and personal. This is Brother Eric John Fells, Biblical Truth and History and Prophecy. Thank you for tuning in today. I trust this was informative. I have a book, Vatican Assassins, Wounded in the House of My Friends.
All right. Well, that was like like you said. That's Eric John Phelps, the author of Vatican Assassins, and you can find him on First Amendment Radio. And it's—I don't know. I think it's a sign of the times and how tragic our situation is when it takes a white supremacist to tell us the truth. I guess it gives you an idea of how absolutely corrupt the actual church is, how hopeless the whole situation is. And, uh, And the other, other way of looking at it, too, is, is that, you know, maybe it takes one to know one, huh? Maybe in reality, that's what it takes. You know, to just think like these folks, you have to be one of them. I personally don't buy into this whole, white, you know, chosen white race thing. I think it's... <clears throat> the power of racism is so, it's so amazing that it's... It is. It keeps a lot of us men to overcome other men. Take over their slave on, justify all the things that they do. And uh Yeah, what do I say? Well, you know, the thing I can say is is that when you look at what he actually has to say about the structure of the banking system in this world, it is run by a bunch of white Gentiles, and their affiliations with Jesuits is overwhelming. And there you go. And it goes along with the Word of God. God told us this is what would happen, and there's not much you can do about it. Except admit it and get right with God, I guess. Takes one to know one, that's all I gotta say. Anyways, God bless, take care.